New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan, McCartan After Midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning. Or, as I always say, late Saturday night, if you're still, I don't know, in a bar with some limited capacity or in a rideshare home or maybe you're working on a weekend like usual. Well, hey, I am too. Got the one and only Pat Boyle behind the glass with me tonight. He's ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls. You guys know that number, 877-337-6666. Let's load them up with your best content only, please. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan as I hand sanitize the desk, my hands, the buttons, everything here. We are, you know, living in a COVID world still. Hope you guys are all safe out there. We're going to be together a lot tonight till 6 a.m., so let's get those phones going. Um, Coming up at 440 One of the most beloved New York Jets of all time, from undrafted to the Jets' ring of honor. Number 80, whose jersey I am wearing tonight, Winkerbet. Thanks to you guys and a little social media pressure, be on at 440 with us, I guess, later this morning. Cannot wait for this one, you guys. Also, the World Series. Okay, we have to talk about the World Series that ended not too long ago. Real quick on this. I know it's not New York teams. However... It just, I don't know, something that stuck out to me just as I was just thinking about it was, you know, Cody Bellinger was that late scratch in center field. He was scratched because of back pain, but he ended up DHing. But I'm talking about in the field. And as it goes, as baseball goes, um, the ball finds its way to Chris Taylor in center field, right? And tonight, you know, in the bottom of the, the ninth inning, finds its way to Chris Taylor, who was playing defense in place of Cody Bellinger. And you have to think, does Bellinger make that play? I don't I think he does. So what happened was Taylor fields the, the flare hit, makes the error, and at that point, the game is tied, right? Muncie, the first baseman, is th- taking the cutoff from the outfield. Okay? He makes an okay throw to the plate. A Rosarena is, is coming around third base, trips and falls Daniel Jones style. The catcher... He, he, he tries to, to field the ball and does so, but he goes for the swipe tag. Why did he go for a swipe tag? Aren't you looking at the guy barreling down the line at you? You have to give that a little peek. You have to as a fielder. And I, I, I laughed. I, I didn't mean to, but I laughed because I, I thought of the time I was, a, uh, I was a freshman, I guess it was, or maybe I was a sophomore. No, I guess I was a freshman. We were playing... Softball, obviously, uh, high school softball, and I was I was the go-ahead run or maybe the tying run, and I was rounding third base, and I tripped just as the Rosarina did. I was a little closer to third base, actually, than he was. He was closer to home, but I rounded those bases, and I tripped over, I don't know what it was to this day. Maybe it was the bag. Maybe it was my big feet. I don't really know, and I went sprawling forward. I had a me and the third baseman were in like a crawling match back to the base. I was out. It was so embarrassing. But at least I guess it ended differently for Rosarina. He crawled home <laughs> after all that. He crawled home as I crawled back to third base. And he slammed home plate. And that was the end of it. That was a wild finish to a World Series game. And I'll be honest, I missed. I went to bed or I tried to go to bed or take a nap. Uh, it was like 2 nothing, maybe the fifth inning or so. I missed, you know, all the lead changes, the real exciting part, and then I woke up just in time 
to watch the end of that. So, um, I mean, I'm happy. I mean, I told you guys last week or two weeks ago that I was going to be rooting for the Tampa Bay Rays um, just because, you know, if you're the Yankees, you want to lose to the next upcoming World Series champions, right? That's how you want to go out, right? And I'm also happy because I had a, a free bet on the app that I uh, do my little little sports betting. I don't do big things at all, but I had a $5 free bet, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to slap it on Kevin Kiermaier to hit a home run. I'm feeling feeling lucky tonight. So at plus 725, my $5 bet turned into 36.25. So there you go, Kevin Kiermaier. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. I also, when I was looking, you know, in like the second or third inning, I looked into the stands, and I, and I see that it seems like it's a World Series comprised of really just Dodgers home games. And I know those fans travel well, and I know the Rays are typically, you know, used to playing without fans. No no offense there, but you, have you ever been to a game at, at the Tropicana Field? I mean, really, seriously. It's like an away game every time. But I would be curious that, like, in a season played without fans pretty much up until this point, how the Rays and Dodgers would play without them in the World Series. That's just kind of just food for thought because I was thinking, like, it's been one way up until this point, especially for the Rays. Now all of a sudden you're introducing a new element to it, and most of them are Dodgers fans, despite the location of the game being midway between, basically as midway as possible as you can get between the two cities and the two teams. I don't know, just food for thought. But we're going to go into more local baseball news now. And that's Selena Gomez, Slow Down the Song. But here we're finding out, this is Mets news now, before the weekend, that New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has the ability to not slow down the song, but slow down the sale of the Mets to billionaire savior, Steve Cohen, and worse, possibly even cancel it. You know, guys, that, that I think you know by now, but this is a stick-to-sports show, my show, through and through. You've come to expect that, and rightfully so. However, when the mayor of New York City has the power to block the sale of a New York team, and not just any New York team, but the New York Mets, it's literally unavoidable. We have some more drama here, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like they should make like a documentary about this, this saga, starting with the Ponzi scheme that the Wilpons got into how many years ago. But the mayor's spokesperson said, here's a quote, at this point, the mayor and his office are evaluating. He has an obligation to the people of New York City to closely examine new leases on culturally important and incredibly valuable city-owned land. Also complicating matters is the fact that Bill de Blasio publicly backed the J-Lo, A-Rod, Viola family ownership group back in August. So what exactly is the holdup here? Well, what happens as it goes is the city field lease agreement states, and here's a quote, if there is a transfer of ownership of the team, which there is, the new owner cannot be a felon, here's where we are, cannot be a felon or a person who has controlled a felon. Well, let me be clear, Steve Cohen has never been charged with a crime. But the company that he founded, which was SAC Capital, pleaded guilty in 2018 to securities fraud and wire fraud and paid $1.8 billion in fines. But again, Cohen was not personally charged with a crime. So maybe this seems much to do about nothing. I know Mets fans, you definitely want to believe that. De Blasio's office has up to 30 days to review this. But, you know, nevertheless, I, I started thinking about, you know, let's talk about some pluses and maybe work through some potential red flags on Cohen, the new Mets presumptive owner, you know, 
pending a, a block by, by Bill de Blasio. Girl, I got a question for you. Can I get an answer? So since the last time we've spoken, the Yankees had their end-of-season press conferences. I watched every second of what Brian Cashman had to say, every second of what Aaron Boone had to say, and even Hal Steinbrenner. So every reporter question I, I, I listened to and I watched. Every one of their answers I listened to, I watched. And I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed. Cash, I got a question for you. Chris Brown, questions on the intro for you there. But... My question that nobody actually really just came out and outright asked directly. It's something that we, the last time I was here, pondered on this show, like out loud, like at length out loud. And our WFAN's uh, Sweeney Murdy, he, he kind of asked it, but he kind of asked it in more of like a, a left-right balance of the batting order kind of way. But if I were on that Zoom call, I would have asked Brian Cashman directly why he feels that this feast or famine strikeout or home run lineup is good enough to win a World Series. And then my follow-up question would then be, what do your analytics say about bringing in more hit-for-average guys like free agent DJ LeMahieu in the lineup to split up the home run swingers? Cashman did say, though, of the Tampa Bay Rays, and here's a quote that I wrote down, they have a tremendous starting rotation, they have a tremendous bullpen, and they have a Swiss Army knife offense that they designed in a way that they can match up with anybody. My note that I wrote down to myself was, is this a sign of things to come for the Yankees? Is Cash finally starting to come around to the more Swiss Army knife style players? And Cashman actually asked himself in his own press conference, do I think there is something fundamentally flawed with this roster? That's more along the lines of where I was going. He then answered it. He said, I think the roster that competed this postseason or in the postseason, I think the starting rotation was at risk, and that needs to get improved upon. The starting rotation, that's it? I mean, that's not even a real fundamental flaw in terms of philosophy. It's just unfortunate that they had their big gun pitchers unavailable due to injury and and suspension. The fundamental flaw is that the players in their lineup, after a plate appearance, seem to only be trotting around the bases or parking their fannies on the bench. The second thing that bothered me, if I'm a Yankees fan, during Cashman's press conference was his commentary about the moronic Davey Garcia, Jay Happ starting pitcher debacle that we talked about also in Game 2, which, after a whole long diatribe, he concluded with, the strategy itself I thought was very sound. Hmm? This goes back to what we talked about last week, and I'll go back to the note that I wrote down that very same night as it was happening. At this point, I wrote down, the Yankees could be looking at 11 games through 12 days if this series goes to five and the ALCS goes to seven. This is what I wrote down then. How can they use Garcia for only one inning? It compromised the rest of their pitching staff. To me, that's not very sound. In fact, the opposite, or whatever that word is, but, but I use the word negligent. I have a lot, uh, the Yankees have a lot of roster decisions to make after just paying a little over $25 million in luxury tax for this past season. This upcoming season, or I mean this past season, the Yankees just edged out the Dodgers for highest payroll um, per the 28-man roster. It was about $77 million. But the Dodgers are in the World Series, and the Yankees are home. So the last time I was with you guys, I also signed off by saying that I hope that one of our New York football teams would have a win by the next time I'm on. And here we are. The Jets, well, you know, They're still winless. But the Giants, they have one win. 
But let's just talk about how it should have been, too. What hurts the most was being so close. On national TV. Being so close on national TV. I'm sorry, when I found that song before, I, it just popped into my head. I, I kind of I chuckled a little bit. I'm sorry. But on national TV, what hurts the most for the New York Giants is, well, that they blew an 11-point lead to a division rival with about five minutes left in the game on Thursday night. Did I mention how wide open that division was? Was? Carson Wentz had a game-sealing 18-yard touchdown pass to Boston Scott with 40 seconds left. Because head coach Joe Judge won't say it, I will. We'll start with the fact that the Eagles scored two touchdowns in the final four minutes and 38 seconds. That's bad. I also did not like, I guess in the first half, especially the soft zone defense that the Giants were playing. I tweeted it at the time. It was surprising to me because based on my scouting report, and I'm no NFL scout or coach by any stretch of the imagination, but that defensive scheme, I felt, played directly into the Eagles' M.O. Carson Wentz lives in the check down, the intermediary zones. Oh, and, and you want to talk about Cody Ballantyne not paying, or Corey Ballantyne not paying any attention or not playing heads-up football enough like his punter and, and everybody else on the entire Giants sideline was? to realize that he was completely uncovered on that punt in the first half? You don't need me to tell you that that would have been an easy first down reception to keep the drive moving. I mean, there was no one around him. There was nobody. And as a coach myself, I know that physical mistakes are going to happen. I anticipate them. It's part of the game. I mean, any game, it's a part of that game. However, that gigantic, glaring, mental mistake I have absolutely zero patience for. Not to mention that Ballantyne was just so clueless that I thought about this too. You're playing in a somewhat, mostly empty stadium. How could you not hear anybody yelling at you to, I don't know, pick your head up, open your eyes, look around a little bit? I don't know. I have no idea. I could see if the stadium was chock full, you know. But it was mostly empty. And poor Daniel Jones. That guy was made into a meme by the internet trolls almost immediately. I mean, DJ gave himself some whiplash and hit the deck hard. Short of the goal line on his 80-yard sprint. At least he didn't fumble it, right? I mean, I wasn't too happy. I had him as an anytime touchdown scorer. Um, and I thought I was home free until he fell. And I did not end up winning that bet. But besides all that, Evan Ingram, man, what a huge what would have been a game-sealing third-down drop but Evan Ingram with a little more than two minutes left in the game. With a game on the line, you need to lay out for that ball. He should go back and watch some tape on Wayne Corbett, our guest tonight. To me, that's inexcusable. That's not being hungry enough, not wanting it enough. Now at 1-6, and, and especially for a first-round draft pick, by the way, now at 1-6, and six, Solely in last place in the worst division of football by a mile. I ask, is it time? The Jets are already there. And with the Jets, Marcus Golden just shipped off. Is that the first domino of a whole fire sale to go? What about that video from what we all know now is Friday night of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley out and about at a bar here in New York in the middle of a pandemic without their masks on? You'd have to think that they'd be a little smarter than that, right? The video posted by DJ Lughead has made its rounds on social media even after he deleted it. 
I might have a little surprise for you later about this. But anyway, I do know that the Giants have a long layover until their Monday night game on November 2nd, but it's concerning to say the least. Will the league step in? It did when maskless Raiders quarterback Derek Carr and some teammates, they had a charity event that they were going to in Vegas. They did not miss time due to contracting COVID or league office penalty, but they all were fined by the league. I mean, Carr was only fined $15,000. That's chump change for him. But we're also going to get a glimpse into Joe Judge's coaching chops here, I thought, because you all know, we all know, how superstar, everybody knows, Lawrence Taylor was treated very differently by Coach Parcells, you know, and then the rest of the team. Even if the NFL League office gavel doesn't swing down on this. My question is, how will hard-nosed Coach Judge rule on, especially his quarterback? Some things just go better together. And probably always will, like a cup of coffee and a sunrise. So the Jets. The Jets are at a crucial franchise-altering point in history. They need to take Luke Combs' advice and figure out what goes better together with them. Is it Trevor Lawrence in a roster which has a real shot of going winless in the season right before he arrives? Or is it Sam Darnold and a boatload of picks from trading that presumptive overall first overall pick? Which goes better together for the Jets? And quite frankly, it's a story of multiple perspectives. First being of Lawrence himself. The second being of the front office in Florham Park. Does Trevor Lawrence want to be a Jet? And then the front office can ask, what exactly is a generational talent nowadays? I feel like that's tossed around a lot. And with so many holes, is he the answer? So I've got a Twitter poll that I'm going to put up right on the commercial break here. I'm going to ask to the Jets fans and the fully informed fans, and maybe you don't want to vote just yet, but, you know, in my poll, I want you to select between should the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence or should they trade that pick for a huge haul? That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Rutgers gets his first win, and we will take more or start to take your phone calls at 877-337-6666 right on the other side of this break. I'm Danielle McCart here with you on The Fan. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose coming up today after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. It's Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan reacting to Jets, Bills, and the return of Sam Darnold. Plus the rest of the action in week seven of the NFL. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Radio.com. Working on a weekend like usual. Way off in the deep end like usual. Welcome back to McCartney After Midnight here on The Fan. Working on the weekend, like usual, is Pat Boyle and I. You know what? I don't think we'd have it any other way. I know I wouldn't, and I be- doubt Pat Boyle would have it any other way as well. So uh, we were just talking about the Jets. I just threw up that poll at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I would like to just take a quick look. I, it just went up, and we've got <laughs> three votes so far. I just did it less than a minute ago. Um, and my question to you all at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N is what should the Jets do? Should they draft Trevor Lawrence on an incomplete roster? Here are the choices. Draft Trevor Lawrence on an incomplete roster and coaching staff that has a seal of approval from ownership through this week, which is week seven of a winless campaign, or should they trade that number one overall pick for a huge haul and rebuild thoroughly and properly? Now the votes just doubled and the results just swung. 67% 67% of you guys are picking Lawrence. 33% of you guys are picking the long haul. So if you want to get aboard, give up your opinion on the radio. It's 877-337-6666. Hey, just real quick, by the way. You said I wouldn't have it any other way working on the weekend. 
I'm not a Giants fan, but if I was, I wouldn't want to be working on the weekend. I would want to be drinking myself into oblivion all weekend after that loss. Hey, we can, we could talk about that too. I, it, it wasn't so bad. It was just shocking. It, there were some good things to take away from that that loss, but it was it was very shocking. But in, in, in a typical world, everybody, mid-January is the deadline to declare for the NFL draft. This year is not typical, and there is no word yet on any pandemic-affected deadlines. So let's just assume that we're going to be operating under the, the, the standard timeline here. The Jets' last game is January 3rd versus the Patriots. So at that point in time, the Jets won't know if Trevor Lawrence is indeed coming out in the 2021 draft before their season ends, unless he declares it earlier than that. But tank for Trevor, right? Well, there's two schools of thought that we're going to talk about tonight, the not-so-fast crowd and the absolutely crowd. You know me by now. We're going to do a full examination of this tonight. Sam Darnold expected to start later today against the Bills. Denzel Mims, who was the Jets' second-round 59th overall pick, he's making his NFL debut. He'd been sidelined due to injury um, up until this point. So let's take some. Let's get to some calls. And also, sorry, I was just refreshing my Twitter feed. I just wanted to see if we got any... More votes on this before we head to the calls. Uh, percentages still hold. So let's go first to Kevin in Camden, New Jersey. You're on the fan, Kevin. What's up? I want to talk about the Jets. Let's do it. All right. Everybody knows Gates needs to go. All right. That's, uh, I'm not even going to get into that. But it's, I watched the post-game presser this week. He looks done, defeated. Like Every question they asked him, he had no answer for. Mm. I mean, we all know that he's back. But it's not just about... For the, just not, this is not just for the fans. This is for him. He needs to go. It, it's just so bad. He needs to go. It's just for better for him, and it's better for the team. And yes. I got a, I got a problem with... <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry. No, no. Yes, I agree with you, for sure. I got a problem with the trade. I mean, I'm, I know that they went trade people, but you get six-round picks from McClendon. I mean, come on. Yeah. You're going to get more for that? Well, and it wasn't even straight. It wasn't even McClendon And they gave a seventh-round pick. Yeah, yeah, they threw in the seventh. I mean, come on. That was too much. Oh, I don't, I don't get it, and I'm just oh, the Jets are just killing me. I, and I'm gonna watch the game because I'm a sucker. I got my Jets shirt on. I, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I, I'm gonna watch it too. I mean, I think if if I mean you're a fan, you're gonna watch it. I know. Yeah, but yeah. it's just it's brutal to watch. I mean, it's it's they're they're well, they were in, they led I think four minutes this entire season. I believe I thought I thought yep. I saw that tweet. I mean. That's good. Just and Le'Veon, I'm going to get into next week. Oh, Le'Veon Bell. No, let's do it tonight, Kevin. Le'Veon Bell, he's going to make his Chiefs debut today. If you don't have him already on your fantasy team, everybody, he is going to go absolutely off on 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 uh, the game today, later today. And next week, he's going to be licking his chops next week. Oh, yeah. that's well. And you're talking about when the Jets are, are already 22-point right, yeah. underdogs. Yeah, the Jets are 22-point underdogs against this Kansas City Chiefs team already. I know, and I hope he sticks at the gates. I'm sorry. Me too. I, I'm a Jets fan, but I hope he sticks at the gates. Me too. See, this is what you're missing, and I'm up now. So we'll see what happens. I but. can't wait to have Eric Bien. See, here's the thing, Kevin, too. Eric Bieniemy interviewed for the Jets job. They passed him over, and then they got uh, Le'Veon Bell, right? Yep. So now yep. we've got Le'Veon Bell in an Eric Bieniemy offense. You know, umbrella. He's, he's gonna, mark my words, he's going to have, like, Flourish. He's gonna have like two touchdowns. You watch. <laughs> yeah, and they're also gonna throw him the ball for every once in a while too, because yeah, yep. Jets didn't know how to do that, or Adam Gase didn't know how to do that. Yep. Yep. So it's totally we'll see what happens. You. We'll see. Yep. All right. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, Kevin. Thanks for the call. As always, thank you. Isn't that crazy? I mean, Le'Veon Bell is going to get his revenge, so to speak, 
right away. I mean, it's almost immediate. I mean, this is his first week that he, he could be active with the Chiefs is, is later today, Sunday. And then then he's got the Jets next on the on the schedule. So we've got the Jets at 22-point underdogs already. Last time I looked, it could be worse by now. I don't even know. And you got an offense that's run by Eric Bieniemy, who's going to know how to use Le'Veon Bell, umbrellaed by, by Andy Reid. I mean... Please, don't even get me started. Like Kevin said, we can talk more about that next week. But I cannot believe – actually, no, I can believe. I can believe that Le'Veon Bell is uh, no longer a Jet. We didn't really talk about this last week. You know, know, he's no longer a Jet. And guess what? That's that's Adam Gase's MO, guys. I told you that last fall. He forces out the – you know, the best quote-unquote players on his roster. I mean, we went down the list last year, everybody, on those Dolphins players, and they all play better without him. Look at Tannehill last year. Comeback player of the year almost. So if, you want to, if you're a better, you might want to see if they have that open. Comeback player of the year for next year, it's going to be Le'Veon Bell, I promise you. Let's head out to, oh, right here in Manhattan. KD, you're on the fan. Hey there, Coach McCartan. How you doing? For a second, Big I thought fan. I was going to uh, pick up a Kevin Durant's phone call here. I got nervous. No, I'm the <laughs> other KD. I'm the first. I'm, I got about 10 years on that, dude. All right. The first KD. What's up? Uh, about the Mets and the lease transfer. Yes. One thing I think nobody has reported on is the fact that if a lease can't be transferred for legal reasons, that would create a technical default on the debt financing for the stadium. Uh, you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm into a, that, but sure. Yeah, so, so then what does, that, what does that mean then? That means the stadium no longer belongs to whoever buys the team. The stadium belongs to the creditors, which is uh, City, Citigroup is the lead investment banker, obviously, Correct. because their name is on the right. stadium, but J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. and Wachovia and all, all the other investment banks you can think of, they're all involved in a syndicate. Okay. And they sell little shares of the debt to insurance companies and hedge funds and this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And what happens is as soon as it goes into technical default, it ends up in court. And they carve up the stadium. They own it, not whoever buy it. Not, no longer Steve Cohen owns the stadium. He loses it. It's that simple. Wow. So, so can now let me ask you a question because you really seem like you know what you're talking about. Now, can the Mets then or De Blasio even pivot and say, actually, you know, this the second qualifying offer was that from A Rod and, and that group? Can they just instead of covering it up, could they just, I guess, transfer the sale and, for lack of a better term? I've never seen the paperwork. I don't know what the lease says, but if the right. lease says that the person and it will come down to, I think, De Blasio's decision as to whether. Cohen is a felon right. or the company he owned is a felon? Well, I think that's clear. I mean, the company he owned, I think, I mean, that, that, from what everything I read, the company that he owned pleaded guilty. He personally did not. Right, but the Supreme Court has ruled that a company is an actual person. So, but... Even though I guess one of his employees was convicted of it, I mean the guy Matthew Martoma, he was sentenced to nine years. So I guess it, they all operate under the same umbrella. Then I guess I didn't know that. If uh, Steve Cohen was never charged or convicted, Correct. it would. It, I, this is where it gets tricky. Right. That's why we're in this place to begin with. Clearly, but if it is if it is ruled that 
the lease is not allowed to be transferred to Steve Cohen, right. then it will trigger a technical default on the stadium financing, and that's going to be a big problem. Wow. Now, don't get me wrong. Steve Cohen has enough money to just buy the stadium outright. I'm sure it's only about, what, $2 billion? He's got that. <laughs> Have you seen his house, by the way? I saw it on Twitter the other day. Have you seen that house? I, I can't even call it a house. That compound, I should say. I have seen a sculpture he purchased for $400 million, and I wouldn't want that anywhere in my little two-room apartment. Which one was that one? The one, that, the dog that looked like the, the blow-up balloons, that one? It's, it's called the Skinny Man. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, it looks like a ruins from Pompeii. It, it, looks, it looks like a survivor from Pompeii. <laughs> okay, Dee, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. You, you dropped some knowledge on all of us tonight, so I appreciate that. You're welcome. And then just, you know, just one more thing. I mean, we entered, and, and Katie and I just got into that. There's a real gray area with this. I mean, the lease agreement defines, as a, this is according to the New York Times I read, um, the, the lease agreement defines a prohibited person as anyone who, and this is a quote, directly or indirectly controls or is controlled by or is under common control with a person that has been convicted of a criminal proceeding of a felony. So in, in other words, like if that guy Martoma, who was convicted, is an employee of Steve Cohen, which he was, then does that make Steve Cohen a what's called a prohibited person since he really either directly or indirectly controlled that person? convicted in the criminal proceeding, controlled that Martoma guy. I don't know. I mean, this is what Bill de Blasio's office has to figure out. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I know the Mets were hoping for a vote on on ownership approval by Wednesday or Thursday or Friday of this upcoming week, and and it's just, it's all now contingent upon um, New York City and de Blasio to get this done in, in a New York minute. That the that the New York Mets are, are really hoping for, um, so I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, I'm not pretending to be an investment banker. I'm not pretending to be a lawyer or in control of the lease agreement in my hands. Um, just kind of going with what was reported, what I've seen in many different places, and kind of compiled them all together for you guys. So I mean, I don't. It's I don't. It doesn't to me sound like there's any alarm bells ringing. Um, it sounds like it's going to go through. It's just another little hiccup. That was kind of brought to light by, I believe it was USA Today was the first ones to get that story out there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But that Steve Cohen, Steve Cohen compound is unbelievable. I mean, if you get a chance to just kind of Google it, I'm just, I opened up my phone just now to try and figure it out um, what I could tell you to Google. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like a hotel. It, it literally looks like a hotel. Uh, it, the sculptures uh, are ridiculous. The art, we knew he's an art collector. It's just its just something else here. I just uh, Googled it. It's in Greenwich, Connecticut, and it's got, it looks like the, the, the Palace of Versailles, the Gardens of Versailles, it looks like it at points. It's got tennis courts, obviously. I mean, this is like any, uh, unlike any other, anything you've ever seen in your whole life. So if you want to be uh, wowed and, maybe a little disgusted, um, you can go ahead and, and give that a click and give it a look. Oh, it's got an ice rink, it looks like, too, and a golf course. Nice. I, I, I could live there. I could, I could, I'll take a wing there. I promise I won't even see him. I'll take a wing. <laughs> um, so let's go. We got 39. So Okay, so 
obviously we, we got some Mets calls on hold. We've got some Giants calls on hold. Um, we've got everything's on the table. Yankees, Jets, whatever you guys want to talk about tonight. Um, you know, and, and hey, how about Rutgers getting their first win? You know, we always talk about the losing going on here in New York. We talk about the Mets losing and the Yankees losing. You know, Yankees, they're a winning franchise, you know, but they're not playing in the World Series, and that's a loss to Yankees and Yankees fans. But Mets are losing. The Yankees are losing. The Jets haven't won a game yet, and the Giants are 1-6. and six. And did you turn on the TV today? And did you see Rutgers get their first Big Ten win since 2017 over, uh, was it Michigan State? That's, I mean, to me, that just shows you how important a good coach is to a program, regardless of level. They got uh, an Italian at Schiano. So I always want to say Schiano, but they got um, Schiano in there and, and they got their first win since 2017. First Big Ten win, even since 2017. So for all the Jets fans out there and for the Jets organization, Look what can happen with the right coach in place. And look how fast. And that was a quick turnaround over there for, for Shiano or Schiano over there in Rutgers. Hopefully the same for the New York Jets. So let's get aboard 877-337-6666. I'll see you out on the other side of this break. I'm Danielle McCartan here on The Fan. We just had a fire call from KD right before the break or a couple minutes before the break to try and break down exactly what the question marks are surrounding this uh sale of Steve Cohen to the Mets, or yeah, the Mets to Steve Cohen, I should say. And I guess basically the parameters surrounding it and the investigation now that Bill de Blasio's office has to do and has 30 days to do starting from Friday to figure out if Steve Cohen is considered a prohibited person or not, or considered, a, I guess, a felon or not, although not personally. He is not a per- he's not convicted of being a felon personally. Let's get that straight, everybody. But the company that he founded, which was SAC Capital, that company pleaded guilty to securities fraud and wires fraud in in 2018. They paid $1.8 billion in fines. And again, just to be very, very clear here, everybody, Steve Cohen was not personally charged with a crime. And, I mean... For me, that I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's it could be a good thing. Like, it could be a good thing, right? Because most interesting to me is this. You know, we talk about pluses and minuses and pros and cons a lot on this show. And, and one of the, the pros, and probably the most intriguing pro to me, was um, think about how Steve Cohen made his fortune on, over there on Wall Street. You know, he was what what is called a short-term speculator. He placed high-volume bets on small movements in stock prices. So I sat there and I was like, well, th- that's got to be his philosophy, right? That's his philosophy in business. So how does that translate onto the baseball field then? I mean, I was thinking it maybe it can translate into above average but very short-term contracts for players. And I think I think that's a good thing. I mean, in any sport, and I know as if you're a player, you're saying like, what is she talking about? No, but I'm talking from a business standpoint, that might change the entire way that we look at free agency and how it's structured. Now, right now, the players want their money and they want it long-term. Think of John Carlos Stanton and the, yeah, how the Yankees can't dump him. But if Steve Cohen kind of sort of overpaid them for a short time, that might change the face of a free agency, no? And how it's structured. 
Almost like rental players kind of all the time. I don't know. It was just kind of a thought that popped into my mind, and maybe I wanted to run, run it by you guys and see what you think. Let's go to Juan in the Bronx. Juan, you're on the fan. Hi, how are you? Great show. Oh, thank you. Listen, um, obviously that gentleman that called there, uh, obviously he's very knowledgeable and knew what he was talking about. Right, I thought so too, yeah. But, yeah, what I want to throw out there is about this matter that, unless uh, if you're a criminal or a felon or whatever, but what I want to know is how come none of that was ever brought up when the Wilpons were in bed with Madoff, when Madoff was robbing every little old lady with $2.50, okay? Yeah. Come none of that was brought up then? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer to that question. I, I don't know. I mean, you're talking, and for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, Bernie Madoff, he was behind a $64 billion Ponzi scheme which was the largest financial crime in the history of the United States up until that point. And, and so, yeah, one last thing. Yeah. If um, the Mets or go out there and protest and whatever and whatever, because this man, Cohen, he is tailor-made for them. Because let me tell you, these days, it's not enough just coming up with the $2.5 billion that takes to acquire a major league team. Right. It's having another billion to acquire decent players, okay? Right. It's Jeter and his crew. They came up with the money to buy the Marlins, but had nothing to sign, you know, people, uh, a rock caliber people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's 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 not about the money; it's about the scouting and and the the philosophy behind putting yeah. the team together, right? And, and I and I hear this going guy has pockets deeper than the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, <laughs> so he is who you want. If you're a Mets fan, it's going that you want no one else. And and um and what's the name of the the mayor? Okay? Mm-hmm, de Blasio. Get out of there. You, you have nothing to do with that. Right, right. Get the hell out of there. Go, go hang out with Cuomo. You have nothing to do with it. All thank right, you Juan. So yeah, thank you, thank you, Juan. <laughs> it started off really good. It's, it started to go off the rails a little bit there. Uh, but but he did bring up some good points. I mean, I wrote it down, too. I mean, another, another little red flag I had about Cohen was, you know, what do we really know about him? What does he know about baseball? And as Juan kind of sort of alluded to, I mean, the guy's got a $1 billion art collection. He's got Picassos. He's got Warhols. I mean, that's, that's, we know, that's all we know. I mean, I mean, I don't even know about his, he was a minority owner. You can't forget that of, of the Mets already. I don't even know what his philosophy was even then. Like, but I could tell you who may, I think Juan might've been team A-Rod there, but I could tell you who would have known baseball, the ownership group led by the Viola family with A-Rod and J-Lo. But you know, I digress. And then one, one other thing that Juan also brought up, which I also had down, is just another little red flag about this 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 insider trading thing with his company. I mean, an optimistic Mets fan would say, like, oh, well, good. You know, he was trying to gain an inside advantage over the competition, right, with all the resources possible. That's good. That's a good thing for the Mets, or as it would translate to the Mets. Maybe a realistic Mets fan would say, well, 
you know, as one seems to be, illegal activities surrounding the money the Mets put in the, like, how do I say it? Like, the Mets and illegal things with money kind of put them in this place to begin with and having to sell the team and obviously referencing the biggest financial crime in the history of the United States, which happens to be the, the, the Madoff Ponzi scheme, obviously. All right, let's go to Bob in Bayside. You've been on home for a long time here, Bob. Thanks for yeah, waiting. Danielle. You're on the fan. Yeah, yeah. Danielle, about 20 minutes ago, you made an unbelievable statement. You said the Giants are in last place in the East by a mile. Yeah. They have one less win than these other sorry teams. And let me make a point. The three losses that the Giants have had in the last three, their three losses. They're all close. One was at L.A., went down to the last minute. Yep. They were they they almost tied it up, but uh, they were eight points down, and they could have gone for the two point for, and yep. they threw an interception to yep. the end. Yep. Then they lost close down to the last minute at Dallas and at Philly. Now, let me ask you a question. It's uh, it's proven that they, that they could play right with Philly and Dallas. Mm-hmm. What do you think on on November fifteenth? Philly comes into the Meadowlands. What do you think Vegas is going to make that line? That'll be a pick'em game. Yeah, it will be. It will be. In fact, Giants might be favored by a point. Now, have you seen Philly's schedule over the next six games? It, it's brutal, absolutely brutal. And and Dallas, if they lose at Washington, they, the whole thing is in a mix. They want you. You make a statement that they're in last place, the Giants, by a mile. <laughs> I mean, they're starting a fire sale. I mean, does it sound like they've thrown in the towel to you? They traded Marcus Golden, uh, Marcus Golden, who, by the way, he led the Giants with the most pressures on the team. With, on a team that doesn't really have a really good, consistent pass rush there. So the fire sale has started, in my opinion. I don't know. I think that uh, I don't think there's a fire sale going on because they, because they got So then why, why, why do you think they would sell, ship out Marcus Golden like that? He's got a 16.5% pressure rate and 17 pressures. I don't know that leads the team. Well, why do you think? I, mean, I think. I just told you why. I think they're trying to start a fire sale, I think. Well, I mean, they need him. He, he's an important part to the defense. Like, why would they? Why would they get rid of him? Why would they dump him like that? Well, you might have a point. Except, I don't. I mean, they're one game behind these other sorry teams. That's the way I look at. It. What's that? I'm sorry. They're one game behind these other two right. sorry teams. That's the way I look. At it. Right. And then, then they play Washington. They play Dallas. Uh, Dallas will be a pick'em game also at the Meadowlands. Mm, I, I think you're putting too much stock into this at the Meadowlands thing because you know. The the there's no fans there. there. No one can help the Giants out there at, at the Meadowlands. So to me, it really doesn't matter. Really, well, you're where right the game about is played. that. But they've proven that they played right down to the wire with both Dallas. And Which Dallas. I agree. I I do agree with that. All right, we'll see. But it's up to me. It's still up in the air. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk this time again next week, and we'll doing see. Doing a good job. Then. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean that. I would not have had that opinion if the Giants did not ship off Marcus Golden for a sixth rounder. Sixth. I mean, the guy was once a second round pick and not so long ago, 2015, we're talking. So I think my opinion would have been that of Bob's, right? And and, the, and we've talked about it. The Giants have played close games. They've hung in there. They have. But there's no moral victories in the NFC East. I mean, there really isn't. They're lucky that they're in the position position that they are with with a shot at one and six. But when you've traded Marcus Golden, what could be the reason why you're trading the guy who has the most pressures on your team? 
on, on a team that you guys all know doesn't really have a consistently good pass rush. That doesn't make any sense to me. So to me, that's trying to it's like sort of signals maybe, maybe that's maybe the first domino in in, in a in a uh, a fire sale. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. Let's go to Marcel in Brooklyn. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning, my friend. <laughs> What's up, Marcel? It is A-OK. I'm hope to all to stay safe from the coronavirus pandemic. As I call you from McCartan before midnight, and now for the first time, McCartan after midnight. Well, Great show. Not the first time, but thank you. I follow you on Twitter, and now I like you on Facebook. Oh, awesome. Thank you. All right, what do you well, got for me? Real quick, we're up against a break a little bit here, Marcel, but what do you got for me? Well, I have to say the firing for Dave Roberts for his managerial decisions in Game 4 of the World Series. The tied a 2-2 apiece in Texas as the Dodgers lost to Tampa 8-7. to Pulls Julio Arias from the mound, yes. struck out nine raised hitters, yep. allowed two earned runs in a four and a half inning. That's a good point. It, you know, it's it's he's he's like Aaron Boone buying a lot into these analytics here. You can't face the the order the third time through. You're right about that. That's right. And Drennan now on the mound. They tr- they the Dodgers leading three to two in the bottom of the fifth. Mm-hmm. But Brendan Lowe has an amazing homer in a home half of the sixth to put Tampa Bay. Back to its feet. And Lowell, who hasn't been hitting as of recently, you know, right, three-run right. homer. I mean, that's that's a breakout game for him. And Kevin Kamir hit homers off the Dodgers reliever, Padre Albaez. Oh, I had money on Kevin Kiermaier hitting a home run tonight. I want some cash tonight, 37 bucks. <laughs> good, good, good going, girl. The Dodgers ended up losing the 8-7, to seven, now representing 2-2 tied apiece. They'll play game five. Tomorrow night in Arlington, Texas. With two decimated bullpens. And thanks for the call, Marcel. With two decimated bullpens. I mean, I, I don't know how this is going to go. This is this is going to be like one of those games. You know what I mean? I, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, I don't know. But but that's a great point that Marcel just brought up there. I mean, why did he leave him in? I, why didn't he leave him in? He, he, the guy was rolling. Dave Roberts yanks him out. I mean, it's it's that whole, and we talked about it last week, it's that whole thing of the analytics versus the gut feeling. And, you know, Aaron Boone is a, is a, is a, is a guy who does it too. I mean, I go back, I reference this probably once a week, but Tanaka, he pulls him in that game last season, and he was rolling in, in Houston, and he pulls him, and the Yankees lose the game. Same thing happened tonight. Roberts pulls him, they lose the game. And, of course, I mean, they lost the game tonight on a compound error on that last play of the game. We could talk more about this. We could talk anything New York sports. 877-337-6666. I am Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan. Danielle McCartan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. The Fan. Welcome back, everybody, to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan. I'm Danielle McCartan. He's Pat Boyle. He's answered all your calls, 877-337-6666. You know, coming in tonight, I wanted to share this story for those of you guys who who maybe are leaving the clubs now or whatever, but um, I was driving on the West Side Highway to get here before, and there was a wrong-way driver coming up my way on my side. I was driving southbound. The driver was driving northbound. Um, Obviously, I did call the police, and I did report it as my 
due diligence, right? But, you know, let's just uh, pay attention, you know, put the phone down when you're driving and stuff and, and make sure you're calling a ride share if you really can't drive because, uh, you know, that's very dangerous. It, it, the guy was going fast, too, in, in the right lane. Um, so just, a, you know, just, just a word of caution of something that just happened just tonight. I've never seen that before in my life except for on the news. And uh, it's uh, it's a little bit scary there. So uh, just a little word of caution here tonight. Um, right now on the TV in the studio here, we have on, uh, or I have on the Fox replay of, of the World Series game between the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. And what a game it was. So exciting. I mean, I missed probably starting right now, the fifth inning. I kind of missed this moving forward. I was trying to close my eyes a little bit before the show tonight. But um, I did see the final the good part of the game, and 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 that was very exciting. And I I was watching it standing there in my living room, like, oh my god, like I can't imagine being a fan of either of these two teams. Um, unfortunately, though, um, you know the Rays did beat the Yankees to get there, but I think as a Yankees fan, you want to lose to the Rays. You want to lose to uh, uh, the team that hopefully eventually ends up winning the World Series, which which is the Rays. So that's what I think, anyway. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who who think think differently, but um. You know what people are um, not really thinking differently about? Uh, if you guys go to at Coach M C C A R T A N, um, I should say they are. It, it's a fifty, basically fifty fifty split on the poll that I put up um, from the open. My question to you guys was: What should the Jets do? Should they draft Trevor Lawrence on an incomplete roster and coaching staff that has a seal of approval from ownership through this week seven of a winless campaign, or? Should the Jets trade that number one overall pick for a huge haul and rebuild thoroughly and properly? Would you guys believe it? 51% of you guys say take Lawrence. 49% of you guys say get the huge haul. Got a lot of comments. Let me just go through a few, and then I'll get to your calls. 877-337-6666, of course. Um, But at Tom Barton Sports says, depends on the coach and the corresponding moves. He wants them to go and get Dabo or Peyton, and Trevor is a no-brainer. But if the Jets force a mediocre coach, then get the haul. Um, then I got uh, Paul. He, he's such a – Paul M. Connell, too. He's a uh, very loyal follower. He says, uh, I would take my chances on drafting Trevor Lawrence, but we must dump Adam Guru Gaze first. Makes me laugh every time he writes G-A-Z-E, Gaze. Um, Dave Baldana at Gangring780 says, The Jets have so many holes to fill. I cannot blame Sam because he's had two garbage coaching staffs and schemes. Agreed. As well as no offensive line. Agreed. No playmakers. Agreed. Lawrence will have the same issues with nothing around him. It's He, he says it's a no-brainer. Pick up the picks while adding free agencies. Uh, yes. And the Jets also, by the way, have, going into next year, as of right today, the second most cap space moving in to the season next year. So it is possible to add some free agents there. I don't ask me. I haven't looked yet who. Uh, I'm still working out who the quarterback of the team is going to be. But, you know, there's that. Warren Edward Eaton on Twitter says that it's as good as he is. Oh, as, okay. As good as Trevor Lawrence is, it doesn't matter if he's not protected or doesn't have anyone to work with. So if you guys can go over there and get your votes in, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Let's go to Kevin in Copeg. You're on the fan. What's up, Danielle? What's up, Kevin? Let me get this off my chest. I'm a Jet fan, and I'll be sleeping during the Jet game. Oh, I'm done with the QB on. from USC. Some guys can't play in New York. I don't even think he can play in the NFL. Okay. He can do some college football work for the Pac-12. Surf's up, bruh. Yeah, but Kevin, come on, man. He, he, who, who has he been throwing to over the past couple years? I know, but like, he can't, he, like, these good quarterbacks turn nobodies into somebodies. I mean, the guy, 
Just make it work. Uh, I don't know. You got Crowder, and then what? Uh, you're getting Mims back tomorrow. See, that's the thing. I would just like to see Sam Darnold finish out this year, evaluate him with, you know, the plan that the Jets set before Mims got hurt. I would like to see what they can do together. Uh, Crowder is doubtful, so he's not even going to have him tomorrow. So I, I don't know. I'm just I would just like to see what he does with with all the tools in the toolbox, so to speak. Well, what about a veteran, though, like uh, Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford, if uh, Detroit or Falcons cut ties with them? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just, just Sam, I just, I don't know. I just, the guy doesn't do it for me. I just think he's the California cool and the USC quarterbacks with Mark Sanchez. That was hard as two. Well, well, to be fair, Mark Sanchez did take the Jets to two back-to-back AFC championship games. Did you see him sing on Mass Singer? I did. I didn't see him singing, but I saw the reveal, yeah. He sang uh, George Michael uh, Faith. He actually did pretty good. Was he good? I'll have to check that out. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just the Jets. I just, I'm not even going to watch. I, I'm done with them. Oh, Kevin, you can't call yourself a fan of the Jets if you're not going to watch them tomorrow. Hate to break that to you. But, um, I, I mean, I can see the point of view of, of Sam Darnold. I mean, but, though, he hasn't had much to work with. I mean, he has a coach that's inept. I mean, that you guys know me by now that, that he has a coach that is inept, that is not putting him in a best chance to succeed, really, at any point in time. Um, he, he doesn't have, uh, basically, he has no running game. I mean, they traded away Le'Veon Bell, or they released him, I should say. They released Le'Veon Bell. Um, Lameco Pirine, the plan, Adam Gase, he talked about, oh, we're going to get him his touches, get him his touches. Oh, yeah, did you? Well, I, he didn't really light up the, the scorecard for me at all. So, I mean, there is no running game for the Jets. Makai Becton's been out, and so is Sam Darnold, by the way. But, I don't know, I just would like to see Sam Darnold with, with like I said, the tools that he was meant to have. And I do believe that if he has a coach that knows how to coach him and game plans for him to his strengths, I mean, how many design runs can we, we plan for the Jets? I mean, let's get going here. How about some play action? How about some bootlegs? You know, all this stuff, it's just, it's it's stagnant. It's it's not, if he ends up going, he's going to be one of those guys that does well elsewhere, mostly because he'll be, like Ryan Tannehill, away from Adam Gase. Let's go to Melville, New Jersey. And Ruse, you're on the fan. Hey, what's going on, Danielle? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, uh... All right, there's been just like 8 million things that have been talked about since since I've been on hold. I, I was calling about the Stephen, uh, Steve Cohen mm-hmm. and the uh, the short-term contracts, but I have to say that in regards really quick to, the, uh, to Lawrence going to the Jets, there is no way <laughs> Lawrence will go to the Jets. Ooh, you sound the so guy, sure. Yeah, think about this. This is 2020. There's information out there galore. He knows everything about the Jets. He sees what he saw. What, he sees what's going on with Darnold. He sees what a laughing stock the organization is. You think that guy wants to throw himself in in in, in that situation? If, 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 if him and his camp would, would, no way. Just and no way. Not happening. Okay. But it's a it's a pipe dream for 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 Jet fans and. Yeah, you know, it's just unfortunately not going to happen. But that—that's my—that's my piece on it. But yeah, what what I was gonna what I was gonna say about you are dead on with what I think is going to happen with Steve Cohen and 
I think he's going to try to change change the landscape of Free the contracts in baseball. Yeah. And you really were. I, I really think so. I think it's more beneficial, and, and I think a lot of the owners are going to be excited that he's going to change that landscape because not tying these guys into these long-term contracts as opposed to going to a six-year, $120 million contract. No, let me give you two years, $65 million. Right. But not get not get tied in onto a tail end of a guy that's you know now getting into his you know mid to late thirties, right? And now you know you're getting no production, but now you're paying him top dollar. Exactly right. That's that's the point I was trying to make here. And, that, and from a business standpoint, that's great. But from a player standpoint, I mean, it's not so great, right? What about injury? Like if, if you have a two year contract, you get injured in the second year of it, well then your value goes down as a player. But I, I do think that based on what his track record was on Wall Street, I think that that's what's going to happen or what he's going to try to do at least. Yeah. I, I completely, like I said, I, I think you really were. You were you were spot on. And just the last thing with regards to the Marcus Golden uh, trade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, how do you have any faith in, in Gettleman? Right. To, uh, to be honest, I mean, to, to get rid of a guy that, that's that's really talented, that's really your best edge rusher mm-hmm. on the team, to a team that's really, you know, really doesn't have much to, to, to watch to begin with, to get a six-round pick when you, you know, look at his past history. You know, I, I believe we, we drafted, I think it was Valentine, you know, in the sixth round. You know, yeah, oh, come oh, on. Corey Valentine, you, know? you mean? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Corey yeah. Valentine, yeah. yeah. Yep. You know, yes, he's playing, but come on. I mean, it's... I just think that was just like just just a complete and utter waste. And uh, you you are great. I, I, I love listening to you and uh, continue the great work. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, a lot, lot to lot that he talked about there. Um, Marcus Golden, yes, of course. Why? And, and still, to me, I just don't understand why you would still trade away your best rusher, right? Um, and interesting. I, I know, just a thought, and, and he agreed about. Steve Cohen trying to change the landscape of, of free agency. And I think, I mean, I think, I think it's inevitable. I really do. I mean, especially, and it would be especially advantageous here in New York, right? Because think of, I, I think of guys like, uh, like, like AJ Burnett. I, I think of, um, I don't know, just guys that, that quote unquote, or, or what's his name? Sonny Gray. Guys that just quote unquote don't or can't play in New York, right? Guys that can't play in New York. Those are air quotes that I'm doing. Um, but that would be advantageous to first maybe just try him out before for a two-year deal or even a one-year deal just to try him out, see if he fits. Because if he doesn't fit, well, then there you go. You're out after two years instead of 10, right? Like a John Carlos Stanton, which just, I mean, the Yankees cannot seem to get rid of him. Let's go in order of the phone calls here. We got Ryan in Middletown. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. What's up, Ryan? Hey, Danielle. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Of course. Um, you probably don't remember, but... um. I called you months ago, probably in March, about um, my brother thought Luis Severino would be throwing a baseball before the end of this season, mm-hmm. and I emphatically disagreed, and, and I think you agreed, but anyway, um, just football, um, I mean, I am, between being a Jets fan and Nets fan, I am ready to just jump in. In front of the train. Oh, don't do, don't mean, do that. Mets or Nets? You said. Nets, Nets, Jets. Nets basketball. N E T S. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Look, you got some good you got some good pieces there, Ryan. You got Kevin Durant there, you got Kyrie Irving there. You're gonna be all right. Talent wise. Playing together with that head coach of Steve Nash, who they already came out and said he's not gonna be our real head coach. You know, well, he's got a I forgot the word that they use. He's just going to be like a, uh, not a head coach, but like part of like the scheme of it. Uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> there needs to be someone in charge there. There needs to be accountability there. But uh, talent-wise, between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I mean, and and all the pieces like Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, um, what's the guy? I can't think of his name. Joe Harris. Joe Harris, a three-point shooter, sharpshooter. Jared Allen they got. I mean, they've got pieces. So the Nets are going to be a talented bunch. It's just going to be about how they could uh, – Play together because, as you know, or anybody that coaches or watches any sort of sport, you can have all the talented pieces in the world. If they don't play together, you're not, they're not going to win together. Ben in Queens, you're on the fan. Morning there, Coach. What's up, Ben? Well, quickly, congrats to Rutgers. We, we, uh, we put them down all the time, but when they get a win like this, you know it, it's to be celebrated. Yep. Um, with the Jets, simply put a... I just want you guys to play and no injuries. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. But a deal is a deal. So my Quebec jersey, it was, it was uh, 2010. I just bought it. I was, like, searching for a black, black Quebec all the time. That. Okay, no problem. Got it. Wore it to the bar. I, girl behind the bar, Jamie, big Wayne Quebec fan. So I'm wearing the jersey. I didn't know this. She's going crazy over the jersey. So I just go like this. Well, you know what? Here, have my jersey. My boys looked at me like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you just got it. I'm like, she likes Linker Bed. Here's the jersey. All right, so do you still talk to her? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh. She's moved to Vegas, but she she's still a friend. And... and I, I tell you, she told every bartender in the family of bars about that. So I I literally drank free <laughs> for the next, like, five months well, because that's how much she was loved in the bar thing. And that led me to get into all sorts of trouble. So so there is my bar tale <laughs> cleaned up. It led to a lot of drunken song singing nights, let me tell you. And let me leave off with this. Guys, tonight, what happened in the World Series is why, if you're a baseball fan, even if your team isn't playing, you don't miss the World Series. Because strange things can happen and usually does. That that was a pure Little League fun ending for mm-hmm. everybody except Dodger Nation. And <laughs> good luck, Kershaw. <laughs> you thought you had no pressure. Well, hey, hey, hey you got pressure now. Yeah. Coach, thanks for the time. Ben, thanks for the call there. Wayne Corbett, number 80, bringing fans together all over the country here. And I hope that uh, that Ben, I, I should have told you on the phone here, but I hope that you did tell her uh, to check out the interview. I do have Wayne Corbett coming on this program tonight, or this morning, I guess, at, th- at 440, 440. So if you're a Jet fan, you want to check out uh, an interview with one of the most beloved Jets of all time, Mr. Rinker Bet. That is 440, coming up in the morning at 440. Um, you guys want to get aboard? 877-337-6666. A lot of Jets talk tonight, which is totally fine. Um, I feel like that seems to be the theme. Um, 
what a caller brought up before, I think it was you, Roos, I'm, I'm not sure, but does Trevor Lawrence want to be a New York Jet? Um, I mean, the guy's lost like three games in his entire life. I mean, that's high school and college, and we're not going back to like PB football, but like high school and college, he's lost like three games combined. Like, what? The Jets, I looked it up, and I added it up. Since Trevor Lawrence was a freshman in high school, the Jets have lost 41 games. And that was uh, in the year of 2014-2015. Uh, so in the, that same time span, Lawrence has lost three. And I know you've heard stories around the NFL about guys who aren't used to losing coming to new franchises who, sorry to say it, but all they do is lose. It's not easy. And I feel like, I just feel like the Jets are like constantly in limbo. I don't know. They're, they're always making coaching changes, the draft stock, the free agent decision making. It's just kind of just always like it's, there doesn't seem to be a, a consistent plan for me. Um, and and again, just tell me who's going to be catching the ball for him. I mean, the Jets are tied for third in the league for drop passes with the Giants and the Broncos, by the way, in that tie. Um, don't Jets fans have this the conversation every single season? I mean, we had the same conversation on this radio station with with Sam Darnold coming to town. I mean, and does Trevor Lawrence want to be or want the hype of being the next franchise quarterback of the New York Jets? The first franchise quarterback since Joe Namath, since if you're rooting for Trevor Lawrence, that means that Sam Darnold has not panned out. Haven't Jets fans heard that hype before? Leading up to that 2018 draft when the guy by the name of Sam Darnold came out? But man, as I am also learning, and as Jay-Z and, and Frank Sinatra remind us all, all the time, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And how about the glory of being a Super Bowl-winning quarterback for a team that hasn't seen the big game since 1969? And forget about that. How about just a team that ha- hasn't even sniffed the playoffs since 2010? The glory of being a Super Bowl-winning quarterback in the Canyon New Heroes. Does Trevor Lawrence think he's that guy? We'll talk more about, you You saw, uh, or maybe you didn't see, Joe Namath came out and had some opinions about that. More about that after the break. Also, your Yankees, Mets, and Giants calls as well. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan until 6 a.m. Join Joe Bodingo and me, Evan Roberts, tomorrow at 2 o'clock. We got a ton to react to. The Jets against the Bills and everything from Week 7 in the National Football League. We'll talk to Carl Banks, our thoughts on the World Series, and of course, we'll talk to you. It's Bodingo and Roberts on the fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Danielle McCartan back with you guys here on WFAN Radio in New York, New York on a chilly, blustery 43-degree night. It's windy outside. It's starting to feel like winter. It's starting to smell like winter on the way in. Oh, oh, here we go again, right? Well, here we are. It's fall classic on TV right now, the, the replay of the Tampa Bay Rays and the L.A. Dodgers. Right now, the replay is in the top of the six. It's 3-2 L.A. Dodgers. I wonder how this one's going to end. <laughs> Just kidding. We've got uh, the Giants, who played on Thursday Night Football, lost a heartbreaker on pretty much the last play of the game, or, you know, almost the last, well, let's just say the last two minutes of the game, we'll say. And we've got the Jets, who ha- are hosting, uh, or, or no, they're traveling to, are they hosting or are they traveling to Buffalo tomorrow? I think I think they're in Buffalo. I'm 99% sure they're home. Oh, they're home tomorrow. They're in Buffalo week one. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. Right. I remember. Oh, yeah. So the Jets are home, 1 p.m., um, and they're welcoming in the Buffalo Bills in, into town. So um, <laughs> they're 0-6. If you're a Jet fan, are you, are you praying for a winless season? Or are you hoping that they that Sam Darnold can prove himself and, and be that franchise guy? I don't know. I, I mean, right now, the poll's still on my Twitter feed, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. It's, it's literally still split. It's 53% say go for Lawrence, 47% say get the large haul back for him. Let's see what Tony in Woodbridge thinks. Tony, you're on the fan. Thank you all my car. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. That sounds a little creepy there, Tony. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's up? You know, I want to give you my take. First of all, I think Sam Darnold will be better off on another team. I'm not ready to give up on him, but we all see what a brutal, brutal head coach Adam Gase is. Right. Now, I want the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, but my question is, are his agents going to I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if his agents tell the Jets, no, he's not coming here unless Adam Gase is fired. I know, I know. But there's a possibility that Adam Gase will not be fired moving into next year. So, so I, that's why, so, right. Danielle, so Danielle, my point is, if Adam Gase is not going to be fired, then I wouldn't be surprised if Trevor Lawrence's agents tell the Jets, no, he's going to stay in school. Right. I want I would not be surprised. Right. He, I mean, he does have that option too, Tony. And thanks for hanging on for so long. But and, and, and Trevor Lawrence does has that option. Does have that option to go back to school, right? But I, if I'm see, this is from the player perspective now. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I know I'm NFL ready, right? So why would I want to go back to Clemson, right? And and potentially risk injury. I mean, you saw the injury that happened to Alex Smith. I mean, you saw the injury that even happened to to Tua and his. His um, draft kind of kind of dropped, draft stock dropped, I should say. So I, I don't know if if I want to go back to school if I'm him, if I'm him. And you know, if the Jets end up do end up having this first overall pick, I mean, I think that like the caller before was saying, there's a lot of information out there, and I would not be surprised if Trevor Lawrence takes one of those awkward photos like Eli Manning did holding the Chargers jersey, but Trevor Lawrence is going to be holding the Jets jersey. I mean, I don't know. I mean, some positives, yes, they have a ton of free agent money. Okay. Um, A negative, they have a really bad coach. Um, A positive, they have some young talent. They have um, Denzel Mims. Let's see see what he can do tomorrow. They have Mekhi Becton on the line. Um, But a negative... They don't really have any other pieces. I mean, they don't have a tight end that can catch a ball. Like uh, Chris Herndon, I think that experiment is over, right, everybody? Um, they don't have a good defense, I mean, overall. It's just there's a lot of holes on that team that I'm not sure if I'm Trevor Lawrence. I, I just imagine like a, like a Patrick Mahomes situation, right, where he just kind of was just placed into a situation and was able to succeed. I mean, in, I think uh, in 2018 – I'll get to your calls in a second. 877-337-6666. Hang in there. But in, but in 2018, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he played one game in 17, so let's just say 18. He played with a Pro Bowl running back in Kareem Hunt, a Pro Bowl tight end in Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, who was a Pro Bowler, but but he actually was a return specialist, but still a great talent. What a talented roster 
that that Patrick Mahomes was just kind of placed into, and not to mention Andy Reid as his head coach. And Andy Reid entering this week, the same Andy Reid, that's seventh all-time in the list of head coaching wins. So Trevor Lawrence would be in a terrible position in the desolate Meadowlands, I think. Who's going to catch his passes for him? Who's the talent around him exactly is, is my question. Jesse in San Jose, California. You're on the fan. Hey, how are you? Thanks for taking the call. Of course. What's up? And please be careful on the roads. Um, so, yeah. so what is up is I, I, I have I take issue with the with the concept that fans should watch their team or continue to root for teams that do not <clears throat> live up to their end of the contract. The contract being you put a winning slash competitive product for us to consume and enjoy. I understand. I point to the New York Jets who cannot get out of their own way, the Mets. The Giants, I already ranted about that last night. Um, Rangers, Islanders, Nets, Knicks. They have pieces. Well, no, I don't. I don't even. I don't even put the Knicks in in that. The Knicks do not qualify for professional <laughs> level sports. Oh boy, yet. shots so fired. So I don't. I, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't even put the Knicks in there. But I'm saying, New York is the greatest city on God's green earth, and we have not had a championship since 2009. There are kids that have grown up that do not know what it is to win, you know, to see a winning team franchise in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. And even worse, like the Giants and Jets, they are the you know perpetual get-right teams for the league. And there's no way to fix it. Like, I mean, if you're saying you want to get Trevor Lawrence, I mean, what good that's going to do with the organization that is so dysfunctional and, and screwed up? Which it is, doesn't matter who you bring in there, right? Which is a reason why, if, if I'm him, I'm I'm staying far away. Actually, staying away. yeah. So yeah, why would you want to come to New York? And it's not so much come to New York. It's why do I want to come to a dysfunctional organization? Yeah, that's going to you know pick, have have a coach like Gaze G A Z E. Yeah. <laughs> um, you like like why do why do you want to you know drink of that poison cup? Who wants to do that? Yeah, and I and in that situation, I feel I feel for Sam Darnold. I I really do. I mean, I feel I, you know as much as you can feel bad for a professional athlete. I do feel bad for Sam right. Darnold because he has to live through this right. situation and stand up there week after week. Well, he was injured, but you know what I'm saying. He has to stand up there and answer day after day, week after week, questions that you know, like, come on, it's not his fault. It's not his fault, and he can't he can't stand up there and say the organization right. sucks. Right. Don't blame me. Right. He has to, you know, say the politically correct thing. But we all know it's the organization because this has been going on year after year. The Giants, year after year, we're making strides. We're, we're trying to, you know, do blah blah blah. They have they have horrible players, which brings me to the next point of you got rid of Golden. If you can trade Golden, why can't you release uh, Ingram? I would try and trade Ingram. I mean, they put so much into well, him. There, there's a, there's got to be a market for him. Someone gonna, would want him. Well, well, uh, well, what do you? I mean, who wants a tight end that cannot block and cannot catch? I don't know. Maybe he can run fast. Yeah, but I mean, beyond that, maybe a team looking for a, a, a contender looking for like a slot receiver type. Like, like listen, Evan, but he you're, can't you're, catch. Well, he's he's proven. He's that. a matchup, but he's a they, matchup nightmare, though. He is a matchup nightmare for his size and his speed. So th- that's true. If he could, get, you're, you're missing the, the the crucial part of the. Oh, well, he can't catch the ball. The matchup, right? Yeah, the matchup is predicated on you catching, and if you can't right. catch, 
it doesn't matter. Right, but if you're a defense, if you're a defensive coordinator, you do have to account to to plan for the event that you know he does catch the ball every once in a while. You know, that's what I'm saying in terms of game planning. You have to game plan for him. Uh, I, I, uh, I again. <laughs> I know. I know. Again, it's head scratching. I know. If, I know. If you can't catch, <laughs> you can't catch. It doesn't matter if you have size, if you can run a good route, if you can do all the other things. The most crucial thing in all of that is catching. Not let, Let's take blocking off the table, which would be nice if the Giants had an offensive line, which they don't. And, and what was it, two years ago they said they fixed it? Last year they said they fixed it? This year they're not even going to say they fixed it. They, they're saying it's, it's still broke. Like, I do have a solution for that, by the way. I do have a solution for that. What is it? My solution is this, and I went back to my draft notes. And Jesse, thanks for the call. I went back to my draft notes, you guys, from you know this past spring, and I, I was like, you know what? What what did I write down? What was my scouting report on um, on uh, what's his name, Andrew Thomas? And I'm just at the same time, I'm just trying to figure out or look up Evan Ingram's catch rate actually right now. At the same time, I'm talking to you guys, but um, what did I say about Andrew Thomas? You know what? Let me go back to my notes, my handy dandy notes. And I wrote down, I mean, he, he, Andrew Thomas is at this point in time today, one of the worst tackles in football. And he's got, he's allowed 37 pressures, four quarterback hits, six sacks through seven weeks. I mean, that is just not good, right? I mean, Jordan Renan, he, he did the calculation. He, he has a pass block win rate. A forty-three point eight percent in in my line of work, uh, my daily line of work. That's a failing grade. That's actually not even an F. That's called an X, actually, in my daily work here. But um, the NFL average, just so you know, comparable according to Jordan Renan, is somewhere in the is his quote somewhere in the eighty-seven percent range. So, in other words, he's not doing too well. So let's just backpedal. I I had Jedrick Wills being the best offensive lineman um, coming out in this draft this past year. He, he's got a pro football focus grade of like 60, which is not too good. So I kind of missed on that. But Mekhi Becton was number two for me. He is very good. Tristan Wirfs, now with the Buccaneers, I had him at third. He is even better than Mekhi Becton. And Andrew Thomas of the Giants, he's got the worst one of them all. But I did rank him fourth out of the four that I ranked. And Evan Ingram's catch rate is 53 or 58%, which is not terrible if you get open. I mean, eventually you're going to run into one, right? But his drop rate is 9%. So just food for thought there. So what I'm saying about Evan Ingram is you got a game plan for him. He's a matchup nightmare. From a defensive coordinator standpoint, you have to account for him. And it's 58% of the time he's going to catch the ball. So that's what I'm saying. But... Uh, what do I say about Andrew Thomas? I mean, so long story short, my solution for for the Giants line would be this. I look back, Andrew Thomas can play both tackle positions. So here's what I'd do if I am uh, Joe Judge making a call here. The move I would make is you start Matt Parrott. He, the guy's having an amazing season for what he's done so far. Start him at left tackle. You put Andrew Thomas in at right tackle, and you sit Cam Fleming who's actually, Ken Fleming, is playing worse than Andrew Thomas is. So you start Matt Pert. I always want to say Pert. Matt Pert at left tackle. You start Andrew Thomas at right tackle, and you sit Ken Fleming. I think right now that would be the best, most pragmatic solution to this.
Because you got to re- reward Parrot. He's been playing well. Right? And and I know, I get it. Thomas is drafted so high. He's been the lightning rod. But, guys, you have to look at Cam Fleming. He's terrible. He's even worse than Andrew Thomas. So that's the solution. If I were Joe Judge, if I was in charge of the New York Giants, this is what I would do. I would have Parrot at left tackle, Thomas at right tackle, and tell Cam Fleming to take a seat. And see how that works. I mean, the Giants are 1-6. and six. See how it works. And Joe Judge, I mean, he's got confidence in him. I mean, he said after the game, Andrew's the kind of guy we want to w- work with, both physically and, and his personality off the field. Got a lot of confidence in Andrew is what he said. And, you know, facts here, guys. Andrew Thomas is a rookie. Thanks to this pandemic, he had no offseason program. He had no preseason games. And he also had veteran Nate Solder in front of him opting out. So I'm not making an excuse for him, obviously. But you have to take that all into consideration. Welcome to the league. Here's your first assignment, week one. Here you go. Have fun. I don't know. More of your calls after this break. 877-337-6666. And in exactly one hour from now, Wayne Corbett joins us. I'm McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Make sure you're locked in tomorrow night at 6.30 for Monday Night Live with J.J. After Dark, including our special Giants segment at 7. Then keep it here at 8 for Monday Night Football as the L.A. Rams host the Chicago Bears exclusively on The Fan. Sports Radio 1019, WFAN-FM, and WFAN New York. Welcome back in here to McCartan After Midnight with you till 6 a.m. It is 3.44 in the morning here in New York City. Uh, and, and we've been talking a lot of Jets, a lot of Giants. It's football season, everybody, here in New York. We get that. I mean, maybe it's not so exciting because our teams aren't really too good. But you know what? Nevertheless, it is football season here in New York. And uh, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. National Fall, Football Hall of Famer Joe Namath, at 77 years of age, everybody, is more on target with a couple of statements that he made than his career 50% completion percentage. You've got the godfather of the Jets. He was starting to pull some strings on the Jake Asman show the other day. Let's play agree or disagree with some of the lines from his interview. The first one we're going to give you if you want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. Namath says it would be hard to pass on Lawrence. I tell you, he's just a marvelous player. I want to read this in Namath's voice, but I want to keep it moving at the same time. Um, he's just a marvelous player and has been in the last few years. Everything about him, his passing ability, his movement, his habit of winning, he's a monster. Whoever's going to get a chance to get him will probably take him. Now, here's my thought on that. Uh, I haven't talked to any people whose job it is to scout NFL draftees, so I really can't comment on that. I've read a lot of people with a pair of eyes and a pair of Twitter fingers, but um, until I talk to a scout or someone that really knows how to evaluate talent, I really don't want to comment on that just yet. But I do agree with the second part that, in the sense that he is the hot commodity in the draft. So whether he goes number one to the Jets or if they trade that pick away, I mean, it, there's going to be a bunch of teams clamoring for his services. And the team that takes a chance to get him, yes, will get him. So, yes, I agree with that statement from uh, the only Jets quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl in New York, that is, Joe Namath. Okay, 877-337-6666. Let's, excuse me, let's go to your calls. Mike in West Palm Beach. Mike, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I just uh, transplanted myself down here last week and went to closing. Yeah, okay. Um, for good? You're yeah. down there for good? Oh, yeah. This is my new uh, This is my new uh, address. My, my new phase in life at age 66. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, good for you. 
Thank, thanks, Danielle. Uh, shout out to Pat. <clears throat> oh, always good talking to good producers before I go, go on deck. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Hey, Pat, Pat's a good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Danielle, uh, funny call before. I was just talking to a few friends about uh, Jets. Long time. Jet fan and Met fan. Uh, classic games I went to with the Mets 69 World Series. Mm-hmm. I was 15. Um, I shake Willie Mays' hand in the uh, parking lot in 1973. With over Reggie Jackson's A's. Um, cool. Some great games, you know, um, the dust up at second base, P. Rose. Um, but Wayne Corbett, my second favorite Jet, I used to watch them, Danielle. I grew up at Oceanside, New York. I used to watch them every year for 40 years at Tostra, okay? And uh, Wayne Corbett, so happy to, to have, uh, you're going to have him as a guest on your show. I'll be tuned in. Yeah, and, uh, you know, without a doubt. You know, I'm trying to think of the guy who was drafted by the Jets. He's now a commentator. He was he was a guy that wrote the book. Just throw me the damn ball. I can't oh, Keyshawn Johnson, right? Give me, give me give me the damn ball. Give me the damn ball. The words he said. Every time I see him on the screen, I turn the channel. <laughs> uh, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And I got to give a shout out. I texted him before. We're like cousins. Uh, Ralphie, the coach from Cliffside. Now he's in Long Beach. Okay. Yeah. Um, he never called uh, last week or two weeks ago. He, oh, he did call? No, he didn't. Oh, I just texted him. I said, get up, walk <laughs> the dogs later. I texted him and called Danielle. You know? Let's see. Let's see if he does. Yeah. And you know what? Um, Danielle, as a Met fan, uh, the Wolfhounds can't leave quick enough. You know, thank God. Maybe Cohen, with, with his deep pockets, obviously, he's one of the one percenters, the billionaires yeah. uh, club of America. I wish. They, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, they need to be in competition with the best teams in the country. New York market, they, they operated that organization like, like it was the middle of the road. Yeah. And uh, same with the Jets. I think Woody Johnson is more concerned about pushing his Q-tips and baby powder than he is about running. You know, you can't even, I can't even begin to say what is the dysfunction. Every phase of that team is dysfunction, right? Um, you know, one last thing, Danielle. <clears throat> I'll switch gears a little. All the great uh, former Hall of Famers who have passed away. Tom Seaver, saw him five times. Bob Gibson, I saw him once. Joe Morgan, uh, the dust-up at second base, <clears throat> saw him in the big red machine a few times. And I got a story, if I could quickly tell it, about Whitey Ford. Um, rest his soul. Rest. <clears throat> I'm playing high school ball against uh, St. Mary's High School. I was playing for St. Agnes. Okay. We're off the chart basketball and good baseball. Okay, we're playing at St. Mary's. One of Whitey's sons is is playing outfield. One of two outfielders. I'm doing stretches in 1972. I'm running sprints down there, and there's Whitey sitting in the stands hmm. by himself. He's got a paper bag and a tall boy. Pretty cool. <laughs> the game is over. We beat him uh, last inning. We're walking to the bus. Everyone. And one of my teammates wants to say hello to Whitey. I did too. And uh, Whitey says to me, hey, kid, nice play shortstop. Nice play uh, doing backhand in a hole, turn it into double play. You nice. killed our rally. I said, well, Whitey, you know, uh, I got a lucky hop. What can I say? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you what, Danielle, one more thing. Uh, 1968 with, with the Mets, I was at Shea Stadium. The Pirates were in. That was the night. <clears throat> They filmed the triple play for the odd couple. That was, for me, a thrill. That was the first time 
I saw Roberto Clemente, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, Danielle, keep doing what you're doing. I- I'm glad maybe they'll expand your slot. Keep doing what you're doing because uh, I make it a point to tune in because you are unique. And uh, you get the job done. You got the mojo behind the microphone. What can I say? <laughs> well, thanks. That might be my new slogan there, Mike. And thanks for calling in week after week and, and for always the support there. Uh, I got the mojo behind the mic, I guess. I guess that's uh, my new thing. Uh, there's a guy at Supersound70 who, who tweeted me a picture of the artwork that, uh, what's his name, Steve Cohen has at home. If you guys want to check it out, at Coach MCCARTAN. Uh, he wrote, hedge fund, probably copy and paste it from somewhere, but hedge fund mogul Steve Cohen was revealed today as the buyer of the Alberto Giacometti's Pointing Man, 1947, which sold at Christie's last month for $141.3 million, becoming the most expensive sculpture sculpture ever to sell at auction. So I quote tweeted it and said it looks like it came directly from the excavation site at Pompeii, which to me it does. Uh, but I'm no art connoisseur. Actually, I, I do think I know a lot about art, actually. And so I kind of quote tweeted it with uh, with the, the one of the, the people, the praying men. Um, if you go to Pompeii, it's in the uh, in the section where it's kind of roped off. Um, so you guys can be, be the judge of that and see. Um, I don't even know where I want to go next with this. I got this game on. I'm finally catching up on these innings on the TV here that I was actually closed my eyes a little bit before I came on tonight. I was able to close my eyes a little bit. Um, and I'm catching up here on the World Series. I mean, anything can happen in the World Series, which is true. Anything can happen in the Super Bowl, too. Like, when you watch the Super Bowl and you're in a box pool, for example, and you got, like, numbers that you're like, ah, I got two. Like, how are they ever going to get two? I mean, in a regular game, you know, it's hard, but in, it seems to be always, like, in a Super Bowl, like, like your, your eights and your twos, you got to pay attention. Like, they might they might come out. Like, anything can happen in, in a Super Bowl. And anything can happen, as we saw, Tonight in the World Series as well. I've never seen that before. I've never seen a guy. It, it was just like a it was like a compound error that happened at the end of that game. It was like the error in center field, the error on the part of the catcher coming off the relay throw, and I mean it was a base running error because Rosarena tripped and fell. I mean it was like a comedy of errors in a way, and no pound intended there. And he's crawling home, and and eventually you know he gets there, and I mean. The race just erupted, and I got to tell you, I mean, listen, I would have loved it if the Yankees went to the World Series. It makes my job a lot easier. You know, we can delay the offseason talk for a little while longer. So, you know, it would have been excellent if the Yankees made the World Series. But since they didn't, I think I tell you, I'll let you in on a little secret right now, and I can't log in because I'm in New York, not in New Jersey, and it's going to locate me, but I wanted to have the numbers right in front of me. But if the Yankees didn't make the World Series and win it, I have a confession to make. <laughs> last Halloween, October 31st of last year, I placed a $5 bet on the Tampa Bay Rays to win this year's World Series. I know, I know. But I just liked the way their roster was was constructed and all that. I just thought that, I don't know. I just thought that they had a good chance of making the World Series. And I got the odds at like, I want to look at it. I forget. But the payout, and I'm not a math magician here, but um, my $5, if the Rays win this World Series, will turn into $155. So in that sense, I, I believe me, I was not rooting against the Yankees. But since they're not in it any longer, well, then now... 
I'm going to root for the Rays. And I, I'm, I mean, that's that's a big turnaround. That's a big return on investment there. Let's go to Sparky and Dobbs Ferry. You're on the fan. First of all, Coach, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Now, my take on the Lawrence situation, if it was baseball free agency and Lawrence goes, I don't want to play for the Jets, that's one thing, but it's not. This is this guy's one-shot deal to come into the NFL early, okay? And this is a situation where Lawrence doesn't really have a hammer. The Jets do. If he wants to play in the NFL, it's got to be with the Jets. Uh, or, I mean, it's extreme, but in the case of Eli Manning, he threatened, him and his agent threatened, that he was going to sit out that whole entire season if, in fact, he did go to the Chargers. You know, because I've been a Jeff fan since they drafted Joe Namath. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm, I'm willing to take that chance because what's the worst thing that could happen? They've had so many crazy things happen in the past anyway. Just once stay firm and be tough about it, okay? And now my one of my other things, you know, Yankee free agency, first thing, you automatically you sign LeMayu, whatever he wants. Because, you know, some, he's the only professional hitter that team has. I can't believe they let him walk out or walk off the plane without a contract when they landed back here. You ain't kidding. Because think about it. He, he, when he's batting, nobody shifts for him because he uses the entire field. Right. And now, as far as think, they obviously need a starting pitcher. I'd go nowhere near Bauer. Because, you know what? That guy... He's had trouble with his attitude in every place he played. And this guy could be an overpaid version of Sonny Gray, somebody who wouldn't be able to handle it in New York. Could be, or it could work out great. I mean, that's the gamble, right? That's the one I wouldn't touch. Okay. Now, the Mets situation, you were mentioning that Cohen would do stuff like some two-year contracts, I think, right? Well, the caller did. But, I, I, yeah, I mean, based on what his philosophy was on wall street i would imagine that he would be giving out in my opinion i don't know anything but it you know based on what i've been able to gather that he would kind of try and flip it where he would give out the short-term contracts but more money you know don't feel bad i don't know anything either so i'm just talking yeah yeah but um but the thing is being that he's new with the team i think this is one instance where their first free agent signing Maybe should be for too many years. Maybe it should be for too much money. But just with the idea that you're attracting other outside people to come to the Mets, mm-hmm. thinking that, man, the Mets are willing to spend money, you might get more high-quality free agents. Right, right. Yes, and that I agree with. Yes, I, I, but I just think that having Steve Cohen and his billions kind of just already has already set that tone. I think. Because I got to tell you something, as much as I love the Yankees, I've been to City Field like five times with friends of mine from work. That place is much better than Yankee Stadium. Beautiful, isn't it? Because you know one thing? You know one thing that they did with that place? Let's say you have a young couple, okay, like 30 years old, and have kids, eight, 10 years old. They have so many things at that stadium to get kids interested in baseball. Right. And it's a yep. it's a proper atmosphere. Right. Ah, I, I agree to, with I, you. 
Okay, now are you going to be back on the air again? Or? I'll be this time next week, Sparky. Oh, good. Well, welcome back. Oh, thank you. And you have a great day. Thanks. Bye. You too. Uh, yeah, and, and we could all, we could talk about baseball stadiums all night, really, because that's obviously my thing to go to go to all the stadiums. But you know, one thing I did read too, and real quickly before the update from Mike McCann is, you know, I I just wanted to tell you guys too that Cohen, I mean, a positive for him. We talked about a lot of negatives, but a positive is he's looking to transform all those junkyards over there by City Field, gentrify that area like like they did in Washington D.C. Uh, that's not a bad idea. Put some hotels over there. You know, I, I just think that would draw more people to City Field, especially if they can hang out before and after the game. And there's only so much you can do at McFadden's. I mean, really. Danielle McCartney. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Fan. Hey, Danielle McCartney here, back with you guys here on The Fan. It is 4.03 in the morning. Uh, what's today's date? Uh, October 25th. Sunday, October 25th. Um, again, I'm telling you again, uh, we are now into the seventh inning on the replay that I'm watching here in the studio of the uh, the Rays and the Dodgers in the World Series of 2020, the Fall Classic. It's now tied. Kevin Kiermaier just hit a game-tying home run in the bottom of the seventh with one out. Ooh, I wonder how this one's going to end. Nah, just kidding, obviously. Um, Why don't just just give you like a little... The guy, Brett Phillips, the Ray, Brett Phillips, who had the game-winning hit. Unlikely source because he had not driven in a run since July 27th. Think about that. July, August, September, three months. It's been like almost three months to the day when his last RBI came in. And he had the game-winning hit tonight, and he drove in two tonight uh, to win the game. So uh, anything can happen in postseason baseball, as you know. His post-game interview... I don't know. Really good. If you get a chance to check that out, it's really good. Real appreciative guy. And I, I mean, I, I'm not a Dodgers fan, so I can, I guess I could say that. If you're a Dodgers fan, you probably hate his guts, which is, you know, the way it goes, obviously. But um, yeah, just just a real cl- instant classic. I got to say, tonight's game was an instant classic. Um, if you're a baseball fan, obviously, not a fan of either team, obviously, but if you're just a baseball fan, you'd, you'd have to agree that tonight's game was a base uh, was a uh, instant classic. And um, right before I closed my eyes, I saw this catch that Mookie Betts made. I mean, the guy is real good, real good with the glove in, in right field. And it's on display here in, in the postseason. And, I mean, he robbed the one home run the other night, jumped over the wall, basically, to, to, to uh, rob that home run. But tonight, I mean, it's just one of those plays where you jump and then it just he just jumped into second gear. It was like he levitated in a way and just came up with that catch in, in right field early on in the game. I mean, the, the guy is just a plus-plus defender. I mean, when you think about the Dodgers and where they were last year, uh, they, I guess, had a nice hard self-evaluation with themselves, and they said, okay, what do we need to win the World Series now? And, and they decided that that player was going to be Mookie Betts. And so they went out and got him. Paid a lot for him, but got him. And right now, they're as of right this minute, they are tied 2-2 in the World Series. Uh, so that investment, did he get them over the hump, is to be determined. But now there's been a whole debate, and, and we're removed here from it, mostly on the East Coast, but who is the best player in in California? And on the way in here, I was um, listening to, as you guys know, I listened or tried to listen to radio from like the other markets after big games and whatnot. So obviously tonight I put on 
you know what Tampa was going to be talking about. So I put on the Los Angeles Sports Talk Radio, and they were talking about the game, obviously. They were all devastated, obviously. But then um, the host asked a question of, okay, so uh, the, there's only one table at, and I'm making up the restaurant, say there's Malibu, Nobu in Malibu on the beach there, real exclusive restaurant. There's one table left. Who gets it? Betts, Trout, or LeBron James? I'm like, all right, I know he asked about a restaurant, but really what he's asking is who's the best athlete in California at the moment? And, you know, I I think you guys know how I feel about LeBron James, so I'm just going to talk about Betts and Trout. I thought it was Trout, and now I'm coming around to Betts. And now I really don't have an answer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I like to vote for Trout because he's the you know the New Jersey guy, the New Jersey product who is he is a generational talent. But Mookie Betts, man, I don't know. He's just kicked it into another gear with the Dodgers. And let, let's go to Mark in in California. Mark, what part of California are you living in? Uh, I live in Sherman Oaks, California. Ah, Sherman Oaks, that's right by Malibu. But so have you been? I'm to originally Nobu? from. I've been to Nobu. Actually, See? you know where I'm talking about. Probably about four years ago. It's I mean, there are a couple of little better sushi restaurants, but Nobu has excellent, excellent Japanese food, and they get the seafood directly from right over there. So, well, you know good. how I know. So I'm originally from I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Oh, so there you go. I, I went out here. I went to UC Davis in college and all that. Oh, that's so, funny because my cousin goes to Pepperdine, so I've been out there. I've visited to visit him. Yeah, yeah. Pepperdine, Pepperdine is very good. I think it's a Christian school. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I mean, um, if I would have known that was out there, I think I would have went out there for college. I mean, beautiful out there. Yeah, it's, it's it's really, really nice. But it's funny that you talk about Trout because, I mean, I was talking about LeBron James and I was just arguing about that little tidbit here. You know, Michael Jordan mm-hmm. in his last four years, which are now LeBron's years now, mm-hmm. he had his best years ever. LeBron has not averaged 30 points in a season since 04. Michael Jordan was on a whole other level towards the end of his career. Yes. And you could put Michael Jordan right now and say that he probably averages 20 points. Michael Who's Jordan. That good? Yeah, I, that I know my answer is Michael Jordan. That I know. But now this bets and Michael trout Jordan. thing, I'm not. I don't know now. I don't know. Okay, so so it, it's consensus to me. You know, the thing is, is that bets is great, and if you look at it from a baseball standpoint, Trout is the better offensive player. Yes, no doubt in my mind. And Trout's a great defender, but Betts is a way better defender. I mean, in Fenway Park, that's the hardest right field in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. The hardest right field. And I don't really know of another better defender in the Fenway than maybe Dwight Evans. You know, Dwight Evans. He's probably – and then Mookie Betts up there as the best defender Boston's ever seen. You know, Trout has an OPS of 1,000. He's got four MVPs. Right. He could retire right now at age 30, and he's a Hall of Famer right now. He still has another six, seven years left. But the way Betts is trending, right. you know, all right. these flashy plays. I'm a Yankees fan, so I've seen Betts forever. Yep. And he made tremendous plays against the Yankees and tremendous plays, but his playoff resume was not as great. Except, I mean, and when, in 2018, when he took the MVP from Trout, he didn't have a great playoff at all. And now, but so now, now he's just, he, he, yeah, he's doing what LA does is they put the athletes on a bigger, I guess, stage than a, than a Boston would. And now all of a sudden, way, you're right. You said it right. Way he's bigger. Tre- and, he's trending and upwards. All my friends. Yep. I'll go ahead, Dan. No, no, I was just saying, you're right in, in saying that he's trending upwards for sure. I mean, all my friends are saying, well, you know, Yankees and Dodgers have the biggest payroll. Do you know how much money the Dodgers get in revenue every year from their contracts with yeah. their television? It's unbelievable. So they have the money to go out 
and make these flashy signings, the Machados, you know, the, I mean, they haven't really signed a good relief pitcher or a pitcher in a while, but they went out and they got that. But to me, it's that I think Trout overall, when it's all said and done, will be the greatest player in baseball history. I think right now he's the greatest player in baseball history. He can retire today and he'd be number one over every player. You can name me any player, Ruth, Cobbs, whoever. He's better. He's, he's just that good. I mean, he's done things that no one's ever done. And, I mean, I understand that Betts has been in two great organizations and Trout has been there and may never win a ring. Well, that's and the thing. do I think Trout will stay with the Angels? Probably not. But it's like the A-Rod and Derek Jeter debate. When A-Rod and Jeter were both playing shortstop for different teams, uh, Rodriguez had the better stats. But guess what Jeter had? Jeter had October. Yeah. Jeter has October. And you can't say that with Trout because he's been on such a bad organization. So, you know, yeah. you I know. You gotta see that. You know, Allen Iverson never won a ring, Danielle. Never won a ring. But guess what? Great player. His playoff average is twenty nine point one. And that's incredible. Yeah, and, that's and incredible. Yeah, Mark, and, and thanks for the call. That was a great call, Mark. I hope you Thank tune you. in. I'm on Thank this you. time every week, I so I hope you tune back in next for week. Sure. I'll <laughs> definitely call back in. Thank you. Cool. So um yeah, you know, and that, and that's the thing. I the thing is that, yes, Mookie Betts is, is getting the TV time and all that, right? Because he's, he's on the Dodgers. Ooh, the L.A. Dodgers, right? But the Anaheim Angels, right, is who Mike Trout plays for. And he, I mean, the team is not good. I mean, no matter what they try and do, they brought in Otani. And Mike Trout's in a long-term ridiculous deal. Yes, I get all that. But Mike Trout... In the postseason, I mean, it's we haven't really seen it, right? So when you look at things that you can compare, Mike Trout has had a longer career than Mookie Betts, right? But when you do compare the things that are able to be compared year to year, right, is um, one is fielding percentage, right? So fielding percentage of Mookie Betts just overall in the outfield, 990. Mike Trout, 993. You look at, let's say, on base percentage, right, which he just mentioned was 1000 for Mike Trout career stat for Mookie Betts 895 you can uh i'm sorry OPS that is and then you go to on base percentage Mike Trout 418 Mookie Betts 7373 Mike Trout again for the third thing that we've looked at is higher and that's significantly higher actually career batting average Mike Trout 304 Mookie Betts 301 so you know what i'm saying like he, here's here's the thing Mike Trout is a good player. And if I'm picking between, you know, in a, in a clutch situation between him and Mookie Betts, I'm picking Mike Trout. I'm picking Mike Trout. The only time he's made the playoffs in 2000 is 2014 with, with the Angels. That's it. Three games. Three games. I would love to see Mike Trout in the postseason. But until then... We have to watch Mookie Betts, and, and we can all agree right now, and he said it perfectly, Mookie Betts is trending upward in the right direction. Chris in Kingston, you're on the fan. Hi, how you doing today? What's up, Chris? I'm good. How are you? Okay, so I heard a call before talking about Trevor Lawrence, if he's going to go to the Jets or not. Yeah. Of course he's going to go. Um, Burrow, last year, we heard all that talk of him not going to Cincinnati, possibly, and he signed there. Yeah, but he's it, from there. He has a little connection to there. Yeah, but Trevor Lawrence is not going to risk sitting on the year, especially with the corona going on. There's no way he's going to – it's New York City, though. I still see. I'll be shocked if he sits out. That's just my opinion. But for the Jets' number one pick, I think that 
if they win one game, that could hurt them, their chances, because I don't see the Jacksonville Jaguars win another game this year. Um, Yeah, and I think that's why they're keeping Adam Gase on as their head coach. I think Jets fans need to realize that, I think, at this point in time. Yeah. Right. It, I don't know if the strength, I don't know if those two finish with one win. I don't know who would win the lose a tiebreaker for the worst schedule. You know, like the worst strength. Right, right. Schedule. Yeah, I got you. I don't know what would happen. But anyway, switching to the Giants, um, they have a tough decision going off season because Barkley will be on this last year of his contract next year. And are you going to pay a running back all that money who's hurt? So yeah. and then Daniel Jones, they don't know what's going to, they don't know if he's going to be a franchise quarterback as well. And Gettleman, he's been trying to work this offensive line for the last three years, and it's, and it's not it's not working. And then Reese tried it two years before he left. And I don't know what, what the biggest reason for this offensive line. I know they're the rookies playing horrible. The, the, um, the one Thomas. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, and Shoulder, Nate Shoulder. I don't know if that's the big reason why they've been playing so bad. But well, Nate Shoulder hasn't been playing. Nate Shoulder opted out this year. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So maybe if he was in the starting line, left guard, I don't know. But Gettleman is going to get fired into this year because, you know, he, he all these picks have not worked out. Some of them have, but what do you think? Do you think Gettleman's going to get fired if he gives us three, four wins this season? Yeah, Chris, thanks for the call, and I knew that was coming tonight. And I'm thinking, I think, I think time has run out. How, how do I put this? I think time has run out on Dave Gettleman, and I think he's been on thin ice and thin ice for a while. I think it all started with, and, and shame on the Maras in a sense, to, to hire somebody that didn't truly embrace analytics. I mean, he's been there, what, three years? I mean, that's not a new concept. So in a way, you know, sort of kind of shame on the Maras in that sense for having a guy that had a, well, a guy with a couple computers come in, right? They need to embrace analytics and not just for on the field. I mean, I'm talking for scouting, right? If you think that, I just watched a bunt get popped up on the game here. Sorry, um, sorry, I'm a little distracted. But if you think that that I, 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 even me, and I'm not an NFL scout, I ranked Andrew Thomas as the fourth best of the offensive linemen coming into this draft. Now, I think if the Giants had a little bit more information or, or whatever accessible to them, I think that they would have made a better decision at that position, right? Dave Gettleman has five or had five first-round draft picks since taking over the team in 2017. Barkley was a star out of the box. Daniel Jones, like the last caller said, is just the jury is still out. I think he's going to be all right, though. Andrew Thomas is struggling, and DeAndre Baker, you know, that that craziness, that off-field stuff, he's out of football to begin altogether. Only Dexter Lawrence really has kind of been producing as advertised, and he kind of gets masked into this whole thing because the defense really isn't that good. But he has been, trust me. But think about, I was thinking about this before, what have the Giants done with the Joe Judge influence, the Joe Judge effect, right? Look at the timeline. Joe Judge officially began in January. It feels so long ago, I know, but but January of this year. Who, let me ask you, who among the Giants defenders are the most consistent, the top defenders on that team? I'll give you a second to think. It's called wait time in education. So who are the most consistent or or top defenders on that Giants team? Probably you thought of Kyler Fackrell. He was a free agent signing in the Joe Judge era of March 18th, on on March 18th. You probably thought of Blake Martinez. He also was signed March 18th, Joe Judge era. 
And probably you thought of Logan Ryan. He also was a Joe Judge signing on September, I think it was the 4th or the 3rd of this year. These are all Joe Judge guys. So, yeah, maybe Joe Judge needs to find his own guy at general manager because what the Giants need more than anything, like I just said, is a more stringent, stronger scouting department. And I think Joe Judge is that for that team, especially since the way they're going, they'll be picking at the top of the next draft. More calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose. Coming up today after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. It's Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan reacting to Jets, Bills, and the return of Sam Darn. Plus the rest of the action in week seven of the NFL. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 119 FM and Radio.com. A little bit of the weekend here on the weekend. It is football Sunday here in New York City uh, for one of our teams. Anyway, the Giants have finished their week seven competition uh, on Thursday night. Football with that devastating loss. Yes, we know that. And the Jets are in action. I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter. But the Jets are in action today against AFC East. Should we call them even a rival? The Buffalo Bills. And um, I just am following up on something that I talked about before. Because I couldn't do the math, especially at this time in the morning. But Glenn Giangrande on Twitter, he said, if your $5 bet on Tampa Bay would yield 155 if they win the World Series, it means their odds at the time you made the wager were plus 3,100. And I know I can't log in right now here in New York to my app, but I knew I had a screenshot somewhere. And I made one tiny mistake that um, a $5 wager, the payout is 150. So the odds, in fact, were plus 3,000. I knew back on Halloween of last year, or I had a feeling, or I liked the way that the Rays roster was constructed um, on uh, Halloween of last year. At 7.51 p.m., I made the bet $5 three, plus 3000 So, again, again, everybody, uh, I'm rooting. I was rooting for the Yankees. I will root for the Mets if they were in that same position. But since it's not either of the two of them, how about I win a little bit of money? How about that? Just on a $5 bet. That's it. I, I don't go crazy. Like, you know, like a lot of people that you guys might know, but I just do a little bit here and there just to maintain my interest in the game, right? We had a lot of talk tonight about, uh, um, um, uh, what's his name? Trevor Lawrence and Sam Darnold and what the Jets are going to do moving forward. Uh, I think Sam Darnold's got a ton to prove uh, moving forward in this game t- later today and for the rest of the season. I mean, he came out and he was like, I'm playing, I'm playing. That's it. Take a seat, Joe Flacco. Nice knowing you. This is my team. I'm going to prove myself. And there could be, you know, one of two outcomes here. And I know you don't want to hear this, Jets fans. But, you know, one of the outcomes could be that they win a couple games here. And he does prove that he is the guy. The You know, everybody says the guy, the guy, you know. Then he does prove it, right? And then you trade that number one overall pick. I know it might might hurt, but you get a lot in return for Trevor Lawrence. And then the other way this can go is actually that he's not the guy and they don't win much moving forward. And and I don't know how much blame you can actually put on Sam Darnold versus the blame you could put on his head coach and his play caller. And the final results of the poll that I did right in the show open, and I'll get to your calls in a second, 877-337-6666. I just wanted to set the table here. My question was, what should the Jets do? Draft Lawrence with really nothing around him or trade that pick for a huge haul? 
And at this moment in time, the results are in, everybody. It's a lot closer than I thought, actually. 52% of you guys say that Trevor Lawrence is the pick for the Jets, and 48% of you guys say they should take the huge haul instead. Split. Split. Stewart, Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Good morning, Coach. What's up, Stewart? Pleasure speaking to you. Of course. Always. I have Danielle. What should the Jets do? Now, look, they have to. They have more than a hole at quarterback. They have a hole in many places. Right. I think Sam Donald, I'm sure he's a talented guy, but the thing is he has nothing around him, and the, the, how is he going to prove himself with nothing around him? That's the, the age-old question here. I don't know. I mean, uh, and to draft Trevor Lawrence and get rid of Sam Donald would be uh, would be a waste. Remember, would they be a waste. Yeah. You're going to get this guy. What's he gonna, is he going to do anything different than what Sam Donald has done? He might do a little bit better. But if you don't put anything around, like a good offensive line, a couple of deep threats, mm-hmm. and a decent running game, how you gonna? How's it gonna work? And how about a, 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 a what's it called? A, a play caller that can actually, you know, call the right plays. How's that sound? Uh, well, first off, um, I don't think they should get rid of Joe Douglas. I think Joe yes. Douglas should have the opportunity to hire a coach yes. that can actually do a job. Meaning, he he'll do what he has to do, but he can also oversee the whole operation. And Stuart, wait, let me just let me just interject really quickly because I know right in Jets fans' minds right now, I'm sure they're about to pick up the phone and say, "Well, Gase and, and him are, are like a package deal." Actually, if you guys listen, they're last, not. They're not. Two weeks That's ago, McCagnin's, I asked that was McCagnin's hire. Yes, I asked Manish Mehta, "Are they? You know, if one goes, is the other one going?" And he said, "Absolutely not. They can keep one or both or none." They are not I keep, tethered I together. Keep, I keep Joe Douglas. Me too, I would, And yes. get rid of Adam Gaze. Yep. Definitely Adam Gaze. You, you know, I watched some of his post-game press conferences. Oh, brutal. I mean, please, he looks like a, a deer with lost in the headlights. Yeah, he, he looks just... so lost. But like somebody said yesterday he looks like a beaten man. Yeah, he's a beaten man. He doesn't have a clue. Yeah. He doesn't have a clue. And the, uh, but as far as, the, let me get to the Giants. The Giants, Gettleman has got to go. There's no questions asked about that because, you know what, what has he done? He picks Saquon Barkley when he should have picked the quarterback. And then, okay, you got Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones looks to, he's going to be all right, provided you put a, a, some talent around him. They don't have any talent either. Their offensive line is, is not that good either, and their defense is, the defense is not what the Giants should be. Yeah, I mean, when I remember the Giants from right. uh, years back, the Carsons and the Taylors and all that. There, yeah, there's really and, uh, none Justin of that. Talk and uh, Strahan, Michael Strahan, mm-hmm. and and the, the guys uh, and guys of that ilk. Right. Because you want to know something? They need a GM, and it's like the, uh, that was like I don't know if you said it. It was shame on the Maris. They kept them too long. And the thing is, like the Giants, what the Giants do and what the Yankees do sometimes keep their p- core players too many years, way past their prime. And the thing is, they have to cut bait while the getting's good. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, Eli Manning, mm-hmm. how many years would you say he stayed too long? Two, three? Uh, I, but I, you know, I'm going to be fair. I always thought that they didn't really put much around him either in order for him to That's succeed. That's true. But so, the thing is, he couldn't move. Well, he never could move, though. No, he could never. Daniel Jones has already surpassed him in, in rushing yards already. 
Yeah, well, at least Eli could get out of the way and duck and zig and zag, but he couldn't move like Daniel Thomas running 80 yards. I mean, that was, and people were laughing at that. Come on. Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes said, I couldn't run in 80 yes. yards like Daniel Jones did. Yep. Uh, he, 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 that's the comment he made. Yeah. And, and Patrick was. Mahomes is uh, looked upon as the best quarterback in the league right now. Yes, he is. Yep. And why did the Tampa Bay, Bay, Tampa Bay Bucks have to go and sign that person? Yeah. Are you talking about uh, I mean, Antonio Brown? Yeah, Antonio yeah. Brown. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't, didn't they learn? From the other teams that cut bait with him in, in less than two weeks. Yeah, I mean that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I, I, apparently it's clear now that that Brady loves him. He, I mean, he followed him into two places, two teams. So, uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? I know. Uh, I know. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope Tom is not proven wrong. Yeah. For his sake. Yeah, Stuart. Thanks because for the call. Because that'll be a black eye on him. Yep. I know. I know. Appreciate the call, well, Stuart. Thanks. Have a good day, Daniel. Stay safe. You too. Thanks. And and Daniel Jones, you know, <laughs> that, that run, I mean, I, I laughed. I mean, I did laugh because it was, you know, like I had, of course, I had money on him to score a touchdown, and then he trips and falls. I sound like a big gambler. I'm really not. It's just so I can, like, pay attention to the game and really make sure I'm really watching it. Um, and it's like 2 and $3 at a time and 5 maybe if I'm feeling real lucky. But I, I tweeted at the time, everybody's saying he was he tripped. He tripped on Twitter. He tripped. Well, I guess maybe you can call it that, but it was more of a fall because – he kept checking over his left and right shoulders for defenders, and he definitely got dizzy. He definitely felt a little bit of vertigo, and he just lost his balance. I mean, next time, here's the thing. Next time what he should do is he should check the stadium uh, scoreboard to watch what's going on behind him, like a like a rearview mirror sort of deal. And I would love – see, that's what I would do. If I were the coach of Daniel Jones right now, even the quarterback coach, I would love to see them cross over the parking lot, go into the stadium, and work on that. I know I would. I would have my players working on that, using the scoreboard as the rearview mirror so that that doesn't happen again. But I had my $3 on there, and I didn't win my 15 But just so you know, Daniel Jones was running so fast <laughs> that he would have gotten almost ticketed in a school zone. He ran, topped out at 21.23 miles an hour. That's like a car, you guys. I mean... And for curious minds, just if you're a Jet fan, I also looked up Sam Darnold's touchdown run against the Broncos, 17.47 miles an hour. So laugh all you want. The longest run of Saquon Barkley's career, 78 yards. Daniel Jones ran for 80. And I also put up a wildly popular Twitter poll from that night, too. What was more embarrassing, the butt, uh, the, the, that fall, Daniel Jones' fall, or the butt fumble? Obviously, the butt fumble, everybody. But still, 25% of you voted for Jones' trip and fall. Hmm. Walter in White Plains, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. What's up, uh, Walter? I'm not a Dave Gettleman fan, but yeah. I, I, you guys, I'm, when I say you guys, the station, I kill them all the time. You look at the free agents that he signed this year. Mm-hmm. You mentioned three of them, and you left out the best one, Bradbury. Oh, how did I forget? One. Yep, yep. He's been the best cornerback in the NFL. Lockdown. To, uh, yeah, yeah, he's been great. And, you know, you, you, earlier mentioned that he signed DeAndre Baker. That, that, that could have happened to anyone. I know. The guy had no criminal record. Right. It, it wasn't like uh, the guy, the tight end on uh, Aaron Hernandez, who right. had a record six miles long. Correct. Before. DeAndre Baker was a good kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the money got to him. Who knows what happened? 
you can't blame Gettleman for that. Yes. But, you know, it seems like everybody that calls up, Gettleman is this, Gettleman's got to go. I'm not saying he's got to stay, but he's not giving proper credit for what he did this year. Cockrell, uh, Hernandez, Bradbury, the Mart- best Martin, cornerback yeah. in football. Yeah. And, and, but, and here's the thing. Well, I think it's enough. Give the guy a little credit. Walter, I think and there's two things here, and I'm, I'll let you talk, respond, but I think there's – I think – Dave Gettleman is good, I think, in signing free agents better better in free, signing free agents than he is in signing in picking draft players, right? And he found Darius Slayton too in the late round, so you got to give yeah, him credit there Darius too. Darius Slayton in sixth round, right? And I Not also bad. think, and, and but I, I left out James Bradbury, and, and I should have included him in that list. And and these are all guys that were found with the combination of Judge and Gettleman together. So that's why I'm saying, I'm sure. that's why I'm saying that the Giants need to have an updated and up beat uh, scouting department because I think Joe Judge is a really good scout. I mean, he came from the Patriots. They find guys all over the place. So I think that um, I, but that's what I said I, and I think Dave Gettleman's time has just run out. I think that's it. I think maybe if this happened last year and he had another year to work with, I think this would have been a little bit more stomachable Giants fans, but that's why I said his time ran out. People just never forgave him for drafting uh, Barkley yeah, well. when those quarterbacks were available. But he had the right answer. He didn't like any one of the. Uh, well, he he had no chance with Baker because he was he was already picked. Yeah. But the other three guys he didn't like, and he wasn't wrong. Yeah. What which one of the other three has turned out to be, you know, a, a franchise quarterback? I mean, I guess none yet. Yeah, I mean none really. But I mean, but what, look what they did with Josh Allen in, in Buffalo. They gave him Stephon Diggs, and oh, ooh, ooh, looks he looks a lot better now, doesn't he? Yeah, well, he's got players around him. Right. Good offense, good defense. Right, exactly. Simple. It's easy to be a good general manager when you – he stepped into a load of you-know-what. Yep. It, it was a mess. It was a mess. Yep. I, I, I'm I, not saying he's been great, but he gets no credit on FAN, and the guy has done some good things. Hey, Walter, I, I gave him a little credit. I gave him a little props here. I did. <laughs> I did. And we'll, we'll do more of a case study next week, I think, actually, on Dave Gettleman. So uh, it is time right after the break for Wayne Corbett. So if you're a Jet fan, tune in. It's time. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan. Are you ready? Let's welcome in Bergen County's own, one of the most beloved Jets of all time, who over 11 seasons went from undrafted to the New York Jets' ring of honor. We Wayne Corbett, welcome to McCartan After Midnight. Here on the fan. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How did your identity, who you are as a person, enable you to be still to this day revered universally by Jets fans everywhere? Well, everybody loves the underdog story, you know, and me being local. I mean, I grew up 15 minutes from Giant Stadium, so I pretty much passed it thousands of times in my life. But, I, you know, people kind of accepted me right away, like I said, as the underdog story. And I always I had a fan base right away. But then my parents had a tailgate and it said the Society of True Believers. It was a big tailgate thing that started. But you know what? I remember growing up and seeing guys like Mark Bavaro, guys like that who fought for the extra yard and was, you know, pleasing to the crowd. So they kind of like accepted me, you know, and I love that, that I was like kind of like that every man that people could root for. So I would see guys on Harleys or guys in Mercedes wearing my jersey. So I was kind of like, you know, I had a broad spectrum of fans. Yeah. I got a question in from Twitter. Dave in White Plains wants to know, I mean, you were known for being so durable. And during your first eight years of your career, you rarely missed any games. And 
he wants to know what did you attribute that to? Because now you look today and there's so many athletes nowadays that need rest recovery time or like, you know, basketball players taking a day off or. You want me to be honest with you? I played hurt. I just don't play hurt anymore. It's like, yeah, I remember guys like, oh, I don't feel a hundred percent, dude, you're never going to feel a hundred percent. Once you start your career, like after the first couple games of the year, you're never going to feel a hundred percent. Don't expect that. You know, I had injuries and then once the concussions, that's mostly when I miss time. But uh, guys don't really play hurt as much anymore. That's the fact. I was afraid to lose my job, you know, even though I had that security and that's the way I played. You know, a thought just popped into my mind, and this is obviously certainly not a knock on you. It's just a commentary on how the game is nowadays. But I feel that they have these millions of dollars invested in these players, and it's almost sort of like preventative. Yeah. It seems that when people get that contract, things change. And, um, you know, I'm not going to point to anybody because I don't know their business. Right. I don't know how they feel. Like I'll never claim to know how people feel, but it just seems like sometimes once they get that money, they kind of, not that it's not important to them. Things just kind of change as far as their mentality. Right. So, Hey, rookie, welcome to the NFL. You arrive in 1995, working your tail off to get here. Rich Kotite's your coach. Season one, three and 13. Yeah. Season two, one and 15. And as of recently, it's all coming back to light. Jets fans have read the articles, even the recent ones about those seasons but could you take me inside you know your helmet and your rookie and your sophomore seasons and what did you see here yeah it's tough because you know I came in and you know didn't get much time in training camp in preseason and you know kind of just followed to the first game playing down in Joe Robbie I wasn't as much paying attention to the record I was just trying to make a name for myself and contribute to the team and um you know next thing you look up and it's a three and 13 season and it's tough Tough to go through that, but I was so focused on just earning my spot right. on the team and in the league, you know, and after the season, like, uh, my friends are busting me. You guys went 3-13. and 13. I'm like, ah, don't worry. It can't get any worse. And then we go 1-15, <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, man. I'm like, this is, this is pretty bad. And it's tough when midway through the season, you're already mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. At that point, you know, you're looking at each other. You're playing for each other. You know, you're playing to try to win a game, trying to do anything positive. But it's, it's tough. You really, on a team like that, you know they're going to bust it up. So you just have to play for your job, you know, play for your teammates and play for the fans. That's all you can do. And sometimes it, you can't do enough, and that's just how it was. What or which player or players did you kind of feel aligned with that mentality that you had? Uh, most of the players were, were that way. You know, some of the younger players, it's, it's just different with, you know, whether they've been some, – some guys never been on a losing team. So it's tough for them, and some guys – are used to losing. So, you know, myself, you know, we did, we had a good team in college. I wasn't used to losing that much, but like I said, at that point, I was just trying to focus on contributing the best I could in like having a job going into year three. A lot of people look at the record and they're like, Oh man, that sucks. You know, but like, what's one thing that you wish fans would know about those seasons? They should know that it hurts us a lot more than it hurts them. I know they're like, uh, you know, I, Spend a lot of money on jerseys and memorabilia and gear and this and that. And I understand that. You know, I was a Giant fan growing up and I was a Jet fan growing up. So I've been through those rocky times. But just understand, listen, we're trying our best. You know, if the effort's there, which I think it is right now, and things aren't panning out, a costly penalty loses the game. A costly turnover loses the game. I mean, they haven't been, you know, some, some games they've been blown out. But there's some games they could have probably won. If, you know, the ball kind of like went their way, but uh, the fans should just understand that, we're, you know, we're trying. It's just sometimes it's just not, it's just not happening. The results aren't there. Four wins over two seasons. 
That's all you knew as a player up until this point. Yeah. And then enter another, we're all Bergen County natives, Bill Parcells, a head coach who the season before had taken the Patriots to the Super Bowl, but lost. But when he first walked through that door or called the first meeting, like what was your impression of him? Uh, you know, I grew up a Giant fan, so I always wanted to play for him, wanted to be part of that, you know, that championship kind of spirit. And when he came in, things changed. With Rich, you know, he kind of gave a lot of freedom for the veterans to kind of guide the team. Because when he was in Philly, he had like Cunningham and Andre Waters and Jerome Brown and Reggie White. And it's just different. When you're losing, it's just tough to maintain that control. And, you know, veterans and guys took, took advantage of it. You know, it was just tough. But when Bill came in, there was none of that. It's like he kind of cracked the whip. The thing is, he busts chops all the time. But if he, if he didn't bust you, you weren't one of his guys. So he, he had to mess with you. If he messed with you, you know you were good. But he's the kind of coach that would just cut somebody, a good player at random, during training camp or something, just to be like, oh, all right, we're not all safe here. And, um, you know, he just had that psychology to make you want to run through a brick wall for him. I've talked to Lawrence Teller about that, too, about being busted by him and Phil Sims as well. Like, yeah. what did he do to bust you? I assume that he liked your mentality and your work ethic and stuff. Yeah, well, he's like, Corbett, I know about you, the great Wayne Corbett. He's like, listen, I know the lawyers, I know the cops, I know the judges, I know everything you do, Corbett. He told me, if you don't listen to me, your career is going downhill faster than a dump truck with a cement parachute. That's what he said to me. And I was like, geez, man, I was like, that's pretty harsh. But uh, I loved playing for him. And my dream was always to Gatorade him, like watching Harry Carson do it back in the day. And I got a chance to Gatorade him. And it was, it was nice to kind of like give him a little payback. Yeah, let, let's talk about the winning now. That You were the Jets' number one targeted wide receiver, number one in reception yards in that AFC championship game. Uh, 98, I believe it was. What's interesting is that it's it was with most of the same core of players that were on those bad teams. So how do you explain that drastic, fast turnaround? Um, we definitely got some new ta new talent, some good leadership coming in. You know, Vinny came in, who wasn't there for those two, first two years. And just some of his guys, like Byers and Pepper, just some of his Giants players. And he, you could see his, he brought guys from the Patriots to the Jets, to the Cowboys, he had his guys. And uh, just played a lot harder, like just played for each other, played for the fans. And that's the kind of year things just kind of fell our way. You know, when you're doing bad, other team fumbles, it goes out of bounds. You know, a new fumble goes right to them. But when you're doing good and you have good karma, the ball bounces your way and it's uh, you could see the results from that year. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's – not a matter of if, but when Adam Gase gets fired. So I think I think everybody can agree on that. But based on your career experience, Kotite, reflecting on Parcells, like what qualities do you think that should be at the top of the Jets' next head coaching search? I don't know. You know, I don't know Coach. You know Adam's philosophy. I don't. You know, I've seen a practice a couple of times. But, you know, sometimes you need a coach that's more reprimanding. I don't know. Sometimes you need a big motivator. Sometimes you need a big X and O guy. But coaching and playing in New York is tough. You know, you're dealing with 20 beat writers. And if you're playing in, like, Green Bay, you got, like, three beat writers. So, you know, so you just need someone that could deal with that. I think he's done an okay job, but it's just sometimes it doesn't work out. The, comp, the mix ain't there, and I know Joe Douglas didn't hire him. So if they start fresh, that's what they do. If he stays there, then that's their choice. The Jets had last year coming in, and then again this year. I think this year it's the second most cap money for to spend on free agency. So, I mean, what can the Johnsons do to? I mean, the Meadowlands itself is swampy, but what can it what can it do to make 
Meadowlands an attractive destination for these these players. Oh, to play in New York? That's awesome. Guys want to come play in New York. I don't, you know, the record is what it is. But guys want to come play for the Yankees and Mets. Guys want to come play, you know, for Brooklyn and the Knicks. It's just the best play. If you win in New York, there's nothing like it. You kind of, like, control everything. You're, like, the king of New York City. You know, you never wait for a table. You're always first in the club. I mean, it's great when you're winning. So people want to come play there. Um, and as far as the cap money, they didn't go crazy last year. You know, they brought in some good guys, but he gave a lot of one-year contracts, Joe Douglas. And that's good. Because, you know, you want to see the trial, if, if this is a guy that fits into the New York franchise, and then sign them, you know, longer term. So I think he did the smart thing doing that, just one-year contracts. But, yeah, I mean, with the amount of draft picks and that they have and the amount of money they have in the cap, you know, they could turn us around very quickly. Speaking of long-term contracts, Sam Darnold. We're debating all night on the radio about should the Jets sign – Sam Darnold long-term or should it be Trevor Lawrence? So do you think Sam Darnold is the guy? I do. You know, I've always thought that, you know, we had problem last year with the mono, but when he came back, you know, he led him to six and two record. Um, as far as this year, he got hurt in that game, but I mean, you saw what he did on that 40 or 50 yard run. I mean, that's, that's special. Not a lot of guys can do that, but um, you know, he's got a great ball. He's very smart. You know, I was there the day he signed. I had lunch with him and Chris Johnson and I just liked his knowledge of Jets history. You know, he's very respectful for me and the old, the former players. I just like that about him. But he he's never had a full allotment of receivers and weapons. I mean, Mims hasn't played. Perriman's been out. Jameson's this. I mean, just he's never had full complement of weapons. So I, I, I'd like to see what he does the rest of the year. I know Mims is back this week. He just hasn't had that. So, you know, I can't really completely judge him, but I've always said he's the next 10 years of uh, Jets football. Now there's this other name circulating, Trevor Lawrence. And I, I saw an interesting quote that you had said once. It said, you said, it's sometimes better to go undrafted. You get to decide which team gives you the best chance to succeed. And we've heard the LA stories and the Manning stories, but you've got Trevor Lawrence at the top of the 2021 draft. If you were him, and I'm not asking for advice for him, but if you were him, knowing what you know, do you think being with the Jets gives him the best chance to succeed? Um, if, if you look at, like I say, if you look at the cap space and the draft picks, you see that there's a, a bright future there. I, I'm not saying they could turn around in one year, but it's, they're rebuilding right now. So if you can see the long-term promise, then you, you understand that you want to come here. Like I said, people want to play in New York. Um, but if it doesn't work out that way and they trade the pick or they don't have it, you know, either way, they're going to get some good players this year. There's a lot of good, a uh, lot of good players. You know, I, I follow college football. So um, if they get him, that he's a special talent. If not, and they give, you know, options, what, the year option five to Sam. Yeah. Then that means he finished the year good. Right. So, uh, you know, tough to decide on now because we really don't know if they're going to have that pick or not. They could end up winning, you know, five, six, you know, five, six games in your 10th pick. And it doesn't, you know, it's a moot point. It doesn't even matter. It's campaign season. What would be your campaign slogan for those fans that are wishing to have Trevor Lawrence? I don't know. It's people. It's tough because I hear fans. I listen to talk radio, and it's like you know, if if you get the first pick, that means the season you know was a loss. So do you really want that? Do you really want to not have a good season in the last uh, ten games? 
So if you get that pick, you know, it means it was a tough time the last 10 weeks. And if you, you know, if you don't get to pick, that means, hey, you won some games and you brought some, you know, some joy and something to build on. So it's kind of tough. Which one do you want? I mean, how bad do you want the number one pick? I wouldn't want the number one pick because it means you went, you know, you had the worst record in the league. So I'd rather them win as much as possible. And if they get a worse pick, then that's, that's fine by me. As you know, Wayne, Jets fans are a passionate bunch and, you talked about the winning here in New York, but you've obviously experienced losing here in New York. Were you able to block out that noise, or did it seep in at times? You're getting asked the same questions every day. What's wrong with you? When are you going to win? What's this? What's that? And playing in New York, you have to deal with that. You try to take the bad. And uh, I say the sweet is never as sweet without the sour. And, you know, sometimes that's just how it is, and for an extended period of time. But you can't. You can't let that get to you. I mean, you still got to do your job. You know, you got to play for each other. You have to be able to block that out because if not, it will, it will eat you up and drive you crazy. And I was able to do that because I just loved my job. I love playing for the Jets. I never wanted to be anywhere else. So get used to it. Right. And 1995 and 96 are very different times than, than now. So in the age of social media, I would think that's unavoidable today. How do you think social media affects young players in these situations? Um, no, it's, yeah, it's tough. You know, when I played, it was like good or bad, you know, you saw it kind of during the week on the sports center and stuff like that. Now, every single thing you do, I mean, it's out there before the game even ends. So I couldn't imagine dealing with that, you know, just get kind of pounded by social media, but that's just how it is this day and age. And you have to be, put your big boy pants on. And if, you know, you, you get the negative all week till you play again, that's just how it is. It's just how the world is now. Everybody sees everything you do. Thank God they didn't have camera phones when I played, you know, but uh, it's just how it is. It comes with it. You want to, like I said, you want to play, you're going to have to deal with that, good or bad. Poor Daniel Jones <laughs> this week. Yeah, I mean, before <laughs> he even hit the ground, you know, they had memes of him or videos of him. Do you know that they said – as far as miles per hour, he had the fastest in the last two years, like a, more yeah. than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it was like 20 point something miles an hour. That's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very impressive. You know, I wonder how fast Sam was going in the, uh, I'm not saying, I don't think he was going far. Daniel, I mean, he looked like he was going to slide, but I was like, I was like, wow, I was encouraged by seeing, I was, you know, I was impressed by that 40 yard run. Yeah, you know, there's probably next gen stats. I could probably find that for you. I, yeah. I don't know about that. Just interesting thing. Yeah. So finally, entering week seven, sitting at 0-6, based on your experiences, what offerings of hope could you offer to Jets fans at this point in time? Like I said, the effort is there. Sometimes it's a shame you're play away. Sometimes it's just just a bad game. So just understand, it is worse for the players than it is for the fans. I I know they pay money for the gear and for everything and the true fans. And the true fans... We'll stick with the team. You know, I see a lot of guys, you know, saying on sports radio, they burned all their jet skiers. And I mean, it's a little, that's a little harsh. You know what I mean? But uh, just know that when I was there, I can only speak for myself. You know, I was trying my best for the team, for the fans, for my family and friends. So just understand that. And, uh, you know, just hang in there. Sometimes it's tough to be a Jets fan and a Giants fan, but, uh, I think the future is bright. And those fans can maybe invest in a, a good old 8-0 jersey. Always good. Yeah. Always yeah, my listen. go-to. 
I bleed green my whole life. I'm loyal to the team. I work for the team. So if you ever ask me, you know, I'm going to be positive about it. You know, I, I, like I said, I love what they did for me. They gave me a great life. They put me in the ring of honor. I feel indebted to them that they gave me the life that I have. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. And that was Jets legend, Winkerbat. Quick check-in on the text from Tony Richardson, another Jets legend. Maybe we can get Tony on the program soon. He just said, uh, he texted me and he said, um, set the alarm for Wayne. And two little emojis there. So thanks, Tony, for setting your alarm. And thanks, Jets fans, for setting your alarm as well. All right, we're going to reset in a few minutes at the top of the hour. Get aboard, 877-337-6666. Got one more hour left here of McCartan After Midnight. Hey, good morning, everybody. If you're just waking up, you better not be. You better have just listened to my interview with Wayne Corbett, Jets legend. If not, Pat Boyle behind the glass there. He's going to cut it up. He's going to put it on uh, on whatever channels we have here. Right, Pat? What are we putting on? Uh, WFAN, Twitter? We have a podcast. Uh, You can find on radio.com. Just search WFAN. There we go. I think there's an article going up later, too. So, you guys, if you missed it, if you're just waking up now, shame on you. Just kidding. You can go back and and, and take a listen to that. Uh, I think my favorite part is the part about Bill Parcells when he was telling him how how fast he can make his career go downhill. I think that was my favorite part. Um, Laugh out loud funny. I mean, I I know I did. And by the way, if you did listen and you did catch it, I did look it up. Sam Darnold's touchdown run against the Broncos this season topped out at 17.47 miles per hour. Whereas Daniel Jones was what twenty one point twenty one point twenty three miles an hour. So uh, Daniel Jones, speed to burn. Couple updates here, guys. At that in the five o'clock hour, uh, Mark Erne, uh, where'd it go? My internet just crapped out on me. But uh, Mark Erne retweeted a tweet from a sports director. Of, by the way, Mark Erne, sports director of Ten Ten Wins, retweeted a tweet from Adam Schefter, who said that the Jets wide receiver, Jamison Crowder, who was downgraded to doubtful before, um, you know, as we were all on the air tonight, before I came on the air, he was downgraded to doubtful. He is now expected not to play against the Bills. So if you have him on your fantasy team and you're up at this hour, go ahead and make that switch. Jamison Crowder out for the Jets. So Denzel Mims is going to be the go-to guy for the Jets. And speaking of the Jets, we had a lot of conversation tonight about what the Jets should, in fact, do with presumably the number one overall pick. That's where we're at right now. I put up a poll uh, during my opening monologue asking, what should the Jets do? Option one was draft Trevor Lawrence on an incomplete roster and coaching staff that has a seal of approval from ownership through this week seven of a winless campaign. Or option two is trade the number one overall pick for a huge haul and rebuild thoroughly and properly. And uh, Jets fans, 52% of them want Lawrence no matter what. 48% of them want the huge haul in return. I actually realized just before that, I, I during the break, I, I never actually gave what I think the Jets should do. As of today, right now, and this could obviously change based on the number of wins and the coaching staff, and there's a lot of moving parts to this, but as of right now, if I'm the Jets, I'm going for the huge haul. You got Sam Darnold. Put some pieces around him. You know, you don't need to have the, the stud quarterback. But every, you, know, you don't need to have a stud. You need to have a good supporting cast around that stud. You can go places. 
in this NFL. You can. By the way, you got to have defense too. But I'm just saying, I think the right choice at this point, this moment, today, right now, is go the long haul for the number one overall pick. And uh, I know that's uh, that's uh, probably not what Jets fans want to hear. But Trevor Lawrence, you guys, can't throw it, catch it, block for it, all, you know, defend it all at the same time. There's only so much he can do. He's just a quarterback. I know that's like silly, right? And, and, and that frees generational talent. It's been thrown around a lot nowadays, as, as well as G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, has been thrown around a lot nowadays. Until I can talk to an NFL scout or someone that, you know, knows what they're talking about other than a set of two eyes and Twitter hands, you know, it comes to mind is, is my mind would be, I would maybe, when it comes time, maybe want to talk to Phil Sims about that. He, the guy knows the quarterback position. I mean, he does. So um, I would like to get his take on that eventually when it comes time and if either of our two teams are in position to make that move. Um, but that's that's kind of who who the uh, level of opinion that I'm I'm going to be searching for. Not anybody with a with a pair of Twitter fingers, and that's that. Um, what else? The World Series. Oh, exciting end to the World Series, you guys. If you missed it, it was just ended around twelve. What was the notification in my watch here? Around twelve thirty-two, it ended, and they said it was an epic walk-off. Yeah, it was, and the Rays. I mean. First of all, I think the Dodgers kind of sort of imploded a little bit. It was like a compound error on that. There was an error in fielding the ball in center field. This is the bottom of the ninth. They were down to their last strike, the Rays were. There was a compound error. It was an error in the fielding of the ball in center field. And then there was an error on the relay on the catcher's point where he went for a swipe tag and there was no runner and the ball flew out of his glove. This is my best shot at play-by-play. And... The reason why there was no runner was because Randy Rosarina, who was rounding third, tripped and fell and rolled Daniel Jones sort of style, eventually crawled his way to home plate and banged on the plate, and that was how the game ended. So a wild one, wild one in, uh, in uh, where are they, Texas, I guess last night now, a couple hours ago. You have um, Phillips, who his last RBI was almost exactly to the date three months ago. Coming through with a game-winning hit. Um, his, you got, if you haven't checked it out, his post-game interview is, is is pretty moving, actually. And lo and behold, trending on Twitter, Dave Roberts, who's obviously the manager of the the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, Dave Roberts under fire for his managerial decisions in Game 4. Well, Yankee fans, don't you know that well? Because what happened was Urias, his pitcher, struck out nine batters, but was pulled and, and had an incredible uh, swing and miss rate was pulled after four and two-thirds innings by Dave Roberts. So this, again, opens up the debate of analytics because the guy that he brought in gave up two home runs, which accounted for four runs, the three-run blast to to Lowe and Kevin Kiermaier's solo shot. And that was the guy they brought in was Pedro Baez. So... Is it better for Urias to go through one more time, who was rolling, or is it better to skip the third time around in the order and put in Pedro Baez? So that is a debate that we had on this program, I don't know, two weeks ago, was um, the same thing, the, the debate between analytics and gut calls. 
Your gut call tells you to keep Urias in. The analytics tell you to take him out. Dave Roberts went in the analytics route, and it didn't pay off for him. Aaron Boone went the analytics route in game two of the last series versus the Rays. And uh, by putting in, and the situation was Davey Garcia for an inning, and then Jay Happ for after that, and Jay Happ did not perform well. They went the way of of analytics, and there's a time and a place for it. You know, I do believe that, and I do believe that analytics is good in baseball anyway for mechanics and fixing things. But when they come out and say, when I'm talking Cashman and um, and Aaron Boone, when they come out and say that. You know, they basically, to paraphrase, wouldn't change anything. They don't have any regrets on how that game was handled. Uh, here's the here's the direct quote, and this was from Cashman. He said, the strategy itself I thought was very sound. Well, it didn't work for you. It, d- it did not work for you in that series versus the Rays. It did not work, for example, again tonight, Dave Roberts. His team lost because he didn't want his starting pitcher, who was rolling, to go through the order a third time. And now he's under fire, according to Twitter. <laughs> still trending. <laughs> uh, and still trending was was uh, Daniel Jones and his, his tumble. Um, and even more so still trending after that game was Evan Ingram's name. Evan Ingram had a huge drop with, with a little more than two minutes left on Thursday Night Football. With the game on the line, though, you have to lay out for that ball. You have to. It to me that's inexcusable. It, Joe Judge, you know, Joe Judge post game said, "I think or we have all the confidence in him possible, so we're going to keep giving him the ball, keep making him a focal point of our offense, which is good as a player to have your head coach backing you." But he was still trending. I checked one p.m. the next day, Friday. Evan Ingram's name was still trending. Now he's under contract for another year. I think he's a total trade piece. I think that was a good job by Joe Judge in the post-game comments to try and keep Evan Ingram's stock up, keep teams interested, total damage control in my opinion, and total pump him up to ship him out. That's just me though. Because is Evan Ingram really in their plans moving forward? I don't know. We talked about this. Evan Ingram has 21 career drops, the most by a tight end since he entered the NFL in 2017. That's a lot. Fact. Here's another fact. He's never played a full season, except for his rookie year. He played in 15 games. But he's always he's hurt often. And it, I know, if you're a Giants fan, it hurts to send away a first-round draft pick that has gotten better. But it's really just not working out here. Send him to contender. Create the mismatch. We had this debate with one of the callers earlier. Send him to – he is still a mismatch. He is. You have to game plan for him. I know he's not the best blocker. I know he's not the best pass catcher. And his drop rate is 9%. And his catch rate was, what, 50, 52% or something like that. Or 58%. And I, I understand that. But at the same time, he still is, you still have to game plan for him, you know? So Evan Ingram, I think he's an attractive trade piece for, you know, a contender that's looking, like, maybe for, I would say, a slot receiver at this point of the season. Give up on the tight end for right now and make him a slot receiver. And I think... He would have success elsewhere. And then we finally, uh, we talked a little bit about the Yankees, but a lot more about the Mets tonight um, because of Bill de Blasio's ability to possibly um, smush the Steve Cohen deal. 
it's not expected to happen, but there is a possibility. Like, don't be shocked if you see later on this week that, you know, Bill de Blasio is taking his time, maybe. He's got 30 days to, to look up or slow down, at least, the sale of the Mets to Steve Cohen. And, and that has to deal with um, his involvement of, you know, the insider trading deal and all that. Because the city field lease agreement states, and we had a great caller before, one of the first callers in the night, the lease agreement states, and I, if there is a transfer of ownership of the team, the new owner cannot be a felon or a person who has controlled a felon. Well, Steve Cohen, let's be clear, has the person, Steve Cohen, has never been charged with anything. But his the company he founded, which was SAC Capital, had. In 2018, they pleaded guilty to securities fraud and wire fraud and, and paid a fine of $1.8 billion. But again... One more time, Steve Cohen was not personally charged with the crime, but one of his employees was locked up for nine years. So does that make him a direct or an indirect influence on on all of that? So um, that's what Mayor de Blasio is going to be sorting through. And, and I know this is always a stick to sports program, but this is inevitable. You have to talk about this, you know. So, um, yeah, so everything's on the table for you guys. 877-337-6666. I think I just set it up very nicely. Looking forward to hear from, hearing from you. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan until 6 a.m. We know you love your NFL football, so stand by today for doubleheader action beginning at 345 as the New England Patriots host the San Francisco 49ers, followed by Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks taking on the Arizona Cardinals exclusively on The Fan, WFAN, and WFAN-FM, New York. Good morning again, everybody. I'm just searching here on my Twitter feed. I'm taking a look at it. the tweets you guys are sending in at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Ruse, the caller before, Pat, the, the Ruse who was talking all about the legal jargon and creditors and all that about City Field, he now follows me. He's going to call again next week. So, Ruse, big ups to you. Good job. You got another follower, another listener. Yeah, we got Add it. to the train. It was a great call. I mean, really, it really was. So, Ruse, good for you. Um... What else? Uh, at B-O-I-N-G-E-R, Boinger, he's asking me, you're taking the hall, but are you keeping the coach? Oh, God, I hope you're I hope you're not serious. I have, I wanted to dump the coach last year. So, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm not taking the coach along. I'll take the hall, but not the coach. Got to get someone else in here for sure. And uh, everybody's giving me some good props uh, for the Winker Bed interview, but props go to him. He, uh, he hasn't really talked much about a lot of different things in uh, – a little pressure from you guys put on him to to come on the show, and it worked out. Twitter is a good thing, everybody. Twitter is a good thing. And just one quick thing before we really get back to the calls, 877-337-6666. Of course, there are a couple lines open for you. There have been murmurings of a Michael Thomas trade. I don't know if you guys have heard that, like late last night. Let me tell you something now. Michael Thomas could play on my team any day. <laughs> I mean, I think both of our teams here in New York would benefit by his presence. Um yeah, there's just some murmurings. I mean, I don't know. Contract details, it was a five-year, $96 million deal, but there is an opt-out clause after the 2021 season. This year, he hasn't played since week one, which was three receptions on five targets. He's got a high ankle sprain. Okay, 27 years old, he'll be fine. Last year, he caught the ball at 81% of the time. Catch rate, we were talking about Evan Ingram, catch rate. Yeah, catch rate for Michael Thomas, 81% of the time. 
That's insane considering the second place finisher, which was Julio Jones, 63% catch rate. Here's, I just, I went into like conspiracy theory mode before and, and let me know what you think about this. Let's just say this season or even next season that Drew Brees is less, which is very possible. One, either they're really trying to shop Michael Thomas, but at three and two and second place in the NFC South, I can't imagine that to really be true. They're obviously still in the thick of things. Or option two, maybe this shopping around, in my humble opinion, is maybe just a ploy by either him, the team, or both just to kind of kick the tires of which teams would be interested and at what price, or maybe not for this year, but at the trade deadline for next year. I don't know. He hasn't played since week one, so what kind of value would they even get for him this year? Certainly one that isn't as high as it would be for other healthier years. So I don't know, just some food for thought there on Michael Thomas, but uh, the Jets and the Giants um, would definitely benefit immediately by having Michael Thomas in their court, wide receiving course. Eric, in Ron Conkoma, you're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Danielle. Yeah, I can't. I'd be very surprised if that one uh, went down. But um, just uh, two quick things. Uh, one, Wayne Corbett, uh, the only actual uh, player jersey that I that I own uh, on there. I mean, I, I went to Hofstra, so I, I watched them quite a bit after I left when I was uh, after I graduated on there. So, you know, which he uh, obviously played for. Um I was always a fan because I'm not, I'm not a tall guy myself, and you know, just you know, watching a short guy play, you know, and, and and do well, you know, it's always something, you know, pretty cool. Well, cool, so, very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you actually almost kind of answered my my next question with the you know, right before the break with the Michael uh, with the Steve Cohen thing. Yeah. As far as uh, the, the mayor getting involved, I mean, I you know, I know there's a couple of angles to this whole thing yeah. going on between that and then you know the. Uh, Reinsdorf uh, making some noise and apparently A-Rod being involved somehow. Yeah, it's, uh, people are saying it's like a A-Rod sound of the alarms on this. I don't know. Right. I mean, I, so I was curious to what your opinion is on this because to me, the way I see it on it, I mean, first of all, I, I really don't see any way at all that baseball doesn't benefit at, you know in any way from him being you know an owner of the team because one, you, you know, you're making the team more success, you know, potentially more successful and and uh, valuable. Uh, not to mention, you know, the uh, uh, you know people are going to want to go there again. I mean, the the the, the city itself, you know, uh, you know, why would why would the mayor not want to put that through when you know you can get people going back eventually to City Field to watch the game when when that's allowed? You're going to be bringing in more money for the city as well, right? And you know, also, why, why would yeah? And also, know. his plans to to I guess I don't want, but gentrify the area around City Field too. He has plans to do that to right. develop it. I should say. Right, and and it just it, it almost kind of, I know it's a it's a different reasoning, but it it, it almost kind of throws me back to the whole mess that the the local um, government around here on the island did to the Islanders on there when they were trying to revamp the Coliseum and everything, and then they put the kibosh on that, and they ended up having to go to Brooklyn, and now you know now that you know they finally got a new one being built in Belmont, but right. that Belmont is still further from me than even the Coliseum was. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that that whole angle went through because of the local politics too, and it could have you know, really had a partnership in there. So, I mean, if if he actually goes through and, and puts a big monkey wrench in this thing, you know, it's not going to be the Mets' fault, so to speak, uh, on there, at least, I, you know, unless something comes out afterwards. But I'm going to be extremely annoyed and, and uh, if Cohen doesn't end up with this thing because of, 
you know, something as ridiculous as this. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, I just wanted to find out your opinion on that, Danielle, and uh, you have a good rest of the night. Yeah, Eric, thanks for the call always. As always, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. It's ridiculous that, that it has to come down to this. Um, de Blasio should just, you know, pass it through. I mean, because of all the reasons you said, it would be good for the city for the Mets to be relevant. And by relevant, I mean uh, the playoff uh, annual or perennial playoff contender. Yes. Um I just, I don't, I mean, I don't know, like I, the way the, the way the lease is worded and I don't have a copy of the lease and I'm not trying to pretend to be a lawyer or, or, or anything of the sort, but the way it's worded, there's no, in my opinion, there's no way that Bill de Blasio could put the, the kibosh on it. That's what I think. And as, most, most interesting to me as Steve Cohen, as an owner too, is I talked about this before. He made his fortune on Wall Street, right? He was a short-term speculator. What he did was he placed high-volume bets on small movements in stock prices. So I was thinking, I'm sitting there like, how does that translate to a baseball field, a baseball mentality, you know? I was thinking, he has the ability to change or revolutionize, I should say, um, free agency in baseball and maybe in other sports, but definitely in baseball because I was thinking Steve Cohen, right? Right now, I mean, the standard is long-term deals, big numbers, right? So what if Steve Cohen gave out short-term deals with higher than average yearly, uh, you know, income, whatever? I think that would be attractive for an ownership for sure. But I'm not sure if it works in the player's favor. But I have a feeling that his philosophy in stock trading may carry over to his philosophy on the baseball field. And that's something we don't know, his philosophy, because he was a minority owner. We don't know any of this. But how does that translate to the baseball mentality? I'm thinking above average, very short-term contracts for the players. That's in my humble opinion with no inside knowledge to anything, but that's what I think. I don't know. Let's go to Justin in Cedar Grove. You're on the fan. Uh, hi. Um, my uh, point <clears throat> when you brought up the Jets in terms of the Hall or drafting Trevor Lawrence, right. that that would be contingent upon they get it right. And I understand <laughs> that Joe Douglas is a new GM, but yeah. just to give you one or 30 reasons, Vernon Golston, Kyle Wilson, Calvin Pryor, uh, go down to the second round pick, Devin Smith, Hackenberg, Jason Morrow, Stephen Hill, Vlad Dukas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of history of them getting it wrong over the last decade or two. Right. Again, I understand Douglas is new. However, the culture and the history of this team in the last, I don't know, 15 years of drafting is really awful. And my, my only problem with getting the haul is I don't trust them right. to get it right because it's not just the first round pick that they botched the consistent second-round picks that they miss on, which they have to be starters. I mean, when Green Bay won the Super Bowl, or whatever it was, 8, 9, whatever years ago, of their 53-man roster, I read a stat that like 42 guys were draft picks. That, that's how you build winners. The right. Jets don't do that. So I, I completely understand why. I mean, if you were to get three ones or two, whatever the number is, that would be great contingent upon that they actually do the right thing, which they have no history to show me that. So that's why I'm fearful for them to do that. Again, I, and now 
they could do the Trevor Lawrence move and do what do what the Colts did and never put the line or never build around Andrew Luck. Right. So really, it's a crapshoot. I just don't trust them historically to draft appropriately to build a franchise. That's that's my concern. Yeah, and that's a valid, very valid concern for sure. Yeah, and and I don't, yeah. I, don't, I, don't I don't know how to placate you and say like, oh, it'll be fine because I don't know <laughs> it's going to be fine. You know, you got a valid well, point there for sure. Years of watching disappointment. I mean, it's 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 I, you know what it is. It's really the ownership and and you know the silliness of having the GM and the coach report separately. Yes. You know? I mean, have you heard that before? Yeah. Where, no. Who does that? You know, or they let McCagnan do free agency, and they let McCagnan do the draft, and then fire him on Monday. Yeah, and then Christopher Johnson says, oh, sorry, that was a mistake. Oh, yeah, owning the team is a mistake. But, I mean, (laughs) that's beside the point. I mean, if they draft Lawrence, they have a couple one. They have have another one. They have a couple twos. I honestly don't know. I know, I, I know. I don't trust them either way. That that that's my main problem. So yeah. uh, appreciate the conversation. <laughs> Good rest of the morning, Justin. You too. Yeah, and that's a valid concern for Jets fans. Obviously, that's a valid concern for Jets fans. How can they screw it up either way? It's like they're going to screw it up either way. So which way are they going to screw it up? In other words, I know. I get it. I do. I I understand, and I get it. Um, you know, they could they could do a bunch of different things with this. And right now, where we're sitting is that the Jets right now have the number one overall pick, and what do they do with it? And and another note that I had written down before and I just saw was it's almost like, like, you know how the Rangers sent out that letter that was like, listen, we're rebuilding. Stick with us. We get it. We're rebuilding. I almost feel like the Jets should come out with a letter like that and and say basically that, and then – Basically, not tip their hand, and maybe you could do it after the draft, but I, like Trevor Lawrence is not going to save this team. He's not going to save this team. We heard it with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, generational talent. He's going to come in and save this te- team. And you know what? I do feel bad for him in, in the sense that as much as one could feel bad for a professional athlete making a ton of money, but I do feel bad for him because he stands up there every day, every week, and very mature for, what is he, 22 years old, takes blame where it's necessary. I mean, the the kid is a lightning rod for, for criticism. Yet he's got a play caller who clearly can't figure out, you know, how to call a play or which call, plays to call it when. And he's got nothing around him, really, to help him out. I mean, they, they shipped off an out, Le'Veon Bell packaged him and shipped him out. I mean, that's been Adam Gase's MO since way back in Miami, even. And and we've got Mims coming back today. If you're a Jet fan and and just a, a watcher of the Jet game because it's on it's, it's on at one o'clock, everybody. And there's no Giant game on because it was already on. But if you're going to sit there and watch that game, you're going to look at Denzel Mims, who is the Jets' second round, 59th overall pick. You're going to look at him and say, okay, what does he have? It's his first game back. It's NFL debut. Then again, Jameson Crowder was just downgraded to out, totally out for the game with the the groin injury. So as much as you want to be able to look at Mims, now, you know, there's going to be some more attention paid to him on the defensive side from Buffalo because of the fact that Crowder is not in. Forget about, you know, tight ends. Chris Herndon, that guy can't catch a cold, man. I mean, what I'm just trying to make the point of is Sam, we have not ever seen Sam Darnold as viewership 
with his full, all the tools in his toolbox out there on the field at the same time. And being hampered by a, by a head coach that Adam Gase is, you know, we can't, we, you know, I, like Wayne Corbett said, I still think he's the guy. I do. I do too. And I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to solve any issues. There was somebody, I forget, somebody tweeted me and said, yeah, but it's going to bring fans to the stands. Well, if you're more concerned about bringing fans into the stands as an organization than actually winning, well, I got another another thing for you here. But, you know, you think that, in my philosophy anyway, is if you win, the fans will come. If you win, it'll bring in the fans, right? So I don't think that Lawrence as a, a box office draw is is the right idea here, you know? And uh, he says again, I wouldn't make a move until Gase is fired. This is on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I wouldn't make a move until Gase is fired. Is the GM staying? What a mess. Um, I'm under the impression that the GM is staying, although I did not like how McClendon and a late-round pick were shopped off or shipped off for another late-round pick. Why include the late-round pick? Why just not make it a McClendon for, what was it, a sixth? Why not just do that trade? First of all, I think that that would be too low anyway. I know, so... (sighs) I don't know. I think the Mets, the Jets are just a little bit of a mess. Um, and then the Giants, on the other hand, well, what are they doing with uh, with their GM? I just, as I said before, I think Dave Gettleman, I think his time has just run out. Um, I think having, pairing him with, with um, Judge was, was a good pairing because you, when you look at the guys that they signed this under the uh, Joe Judge reign, think about it. Blake Martinez, Kyler Fackrell, Logan Ryan, and how can we forget Bradbury? I mean, how can we forget that guy? I'm sorry I forgot him off the list, but those are all free agent signings under the Joe Judge regime. Regime, And I don't know. I just think that time has run out for Dave Gettleman, unfortunately, and I think Joe Judge needs to get his guy in there at this point in time. Okay, more recalls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on the fan, and if you're there on hold, I will get to you, I promise. Make sure you're locked in tomorrow night at 6.30 for Monday Night Live with J.J. After Dark, including our special Giants segment at 7. Then keep it here at 8 for Monday Night Football as the L.A. Rams host the Chicago Bears exclusively on The Fan, Sports Radio 1019, WFAN-FM, and WFAN New York. Good morning again, everybody. It is Sunday morning. It is the last chance to get aboard. 877-337-6666 to this wonderful program that I call McCartan After Midnight. Um, Hey, we're talking all things New York sports, as we always do. So whatever is on your mind, pick up the phone. Give me a call. Quick story really quick before I just go to these on on hold here. Quick story. Um, Which one should I do? Let's, Let's do the Mets one first. I go every year to an Italian-American baseball foundation dinner in Brooklyn. It was uh, December of last year, which feels like so long ago. And on that day, on my way down the FDR Drive, bumper-to-bumper traffic, as you guys know, um, before the pandemic, of course, the news broke that Steve Cohen would be the new owner of the team. So obviously that night I had to ask Brandon in Italian, Nemo, Brandon Nemo, who comes every year, about it. And I asked how much it mattered to the product on the field that the team was just about to be sold at that time, for the first time, to the richest owner in baseball, Steve Cohen. He said, this is a quote from him, 
we'll all find out together. I don't know Cohen personally. We're just waiting for more information to come out. I don't know what those situations are, but we just want to win. And if that owner is someone that wants to win, whether it's the Wilpons or whether it's Cohen, it doesn't matter to us. We want to win now, and I think we can do that. We're looking forward to whoever wants to buy in to that winning perspective. Buy in, I think the Mets should make a splash in free agency and, and go ahead and take Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I said it. Drew and Howell, you're on the fan. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Drew. Thanks How for picking you? up the phone. Absolutely. Out working a little uh, little way early this morning, and I, I heard your points. And, I, I, you know, the way, I can't even talk about the Yankees because it just still hurts. Yeah, I know. It still hurts. And I, I know you understand that. But, you know, the definition of insanity <laughs> is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Yes. You know that, and I know that, and everybody knows that. Yep. But what I can't understand is, is that why, I understand Trevor Lawrence and, and the hype behind Trevor Lawrence, it, it, it offers hope and it offers a, a uh, uh, it offers uh, perspective into the future. It's hope, it's, it's speculation, it's positivity. You know, if you have a boat in the middle of a lake and your boat springs a leak and it's one leak, you could probably fix that leak, bail out the water, and be okay. Mm-hmm. But when your boat has been hit by a 10-gauge scatter shotgun and you've got 50 holes in it, why would you plug one hole and turn around and say, hey, look, we'll be okay, but we're a mile away from shore. What the Jets do That's a great analogy. Year, Let me tell you, you Drew, know, Drew, that was a great analogy. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I, I thank you for taking my call. I really do. No, go I, ahead. Continue. I, yeah, go with the Jets. So why, I, I, I know where you're going. Why would you take Trevor Lawrence and plug one of those holes in the middle of the lake? I get it. If, 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 you, you, know, if you build it, they will come. But you, they won't come until you build a wall. And I guarantee you, and you know it as well as I do, if they took the Jerry Jones approach and they put four 400-pounders that could run, you know, 40-yard dashes like deer, and they put that in front of Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold all of a sudden becomes, instead of an incredibly criticized quarterback week after week after week, and he's getting trashed and he's getting get rid of him and all that, mm-hmm. if you build a man a wall, you will give him a chance to thrive. Feed a man for you, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Yeah. Give a man an offensive line, and he'll pass for a lifetime, for Pete's sake. Mm. Let's look at it where if you don't build the wall, then yeah, then, then Sam Darnold will be the same guy that the last six quarterbacks the Jets have drafted have become. Yes. They, they, become they become footnotes. Yep. They become sad footnotes. And as a Jet fan, and I heard somebody say the other day, well, our time will come. It will be cyclical, and our time will come. And I looked at them, and I said, okay. So I was born in 1969 when they won. 2019 was now almost, you know, it's it's last year. So if it's cyclical, there's your 50 years right there. We should have won in 2019. So if it's cyclical for the Jets, then where is the cycle, and how long does it take? But it's it's crazy that they just – they can't invest in a wall. If they build a wall – then you won't. Then, then you can get yourself some decent receivers. But yeah. if you give the man time, he'll pass. Right. So thank you so much. Thank yeah, of course, you so much Drew. For the call. Yeah. Have a great night. Thanks. Yep, you too. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So, like, building it out, following the the Tennessee Titans model is is what he's alluding to. Is where they went out and they spent really expensive draft capital on on a wall, <laughs> and look how that's paying off for them now. Years later, that's what I'm talking about. The the rebuild letter, I think, needs to come out, like a la Rangers style. But they did go out and get Mikai Becton as part of one part of the wall. The guy runs a, a 5.1 40-yard dash, and he weighs 364 pounds. 
Now let's see how that holds up in, in the NFL level. You know, that, that size and, and everything and his playing style, which he's already been injured. But, I mean, I think they're trying. I just think, um, like I said before, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he played one game in 2017, but let's just take his quote-unquote rookie year of 2018, his first full year. He was dropped into a lineup. I always liken this to, like, you know on, like, Google Maps where you, like, take the guy – you want to do like street view and you take the guy and you drag him in and he's like wiggly, wiggly, and then you drop him in. Well, if you took Patrick Mahomes and you wiggled him, wiggled him and dropped him right into the Chiefs, when you did that, he had pro ball talent around him. He had a pro ball running back, he had a pro ball tight end, and he had a, a pro ball wide receiver who actually was in as a special teamer, not as a receiver, but still Tyreek Hill is pretty good, right? Tyreek Hill is better than any wide receiver on the Jets, let's be honest. Okay, so... Yeah, I think I think that that it's just it's bad timing. Trevor Lawrence is probably a really good quarterback, but just really bad timing for the Jets. And I think they should really come out and be honest and be like, "Listen, we're we're, we're taking the hall." Herman in Stamford, Connecticut, you're on the fan. Uh, yes. Good morning. Um, I I was calling about this thing with Cone. Yeah. Uh, I I think there's a certain clarity here. Uh, uh, the mayor cannot stop Cone from buying the team. This is a matter that has to be taken up by the court because of a concept in the United States called the Bill of Attainder. A legislator cannot say, you can't do this because you're this. An example of that would be if Congress passed a law saying a member of the Communist Party can't hold office in a labor union. That law has been struck down as unconstitutional this would be the same thing well we're talking about we're we're talking about the lease agreement on city field is is what yeah i understand that but to say that he is not eligible to buy the team is is basically marking him with a negative inference that without a without a trial and the law does not permit that. De Blasio has absolutely no power to do that. But in the and lease agreement, article, yeah. But in the me? lease, in the lease agreement, it does say that if the, there is a transfer of ownership of the team, the new owner cannot be a felon or a person who has controlled a felon. That's where we end up. The gray be area. Up to the court, right? That would be up to the court to interpret that. If De Blasio, not De Blasio. Shot, right? If he shoots it down, if he says, "Okay, we're good to go," then we're good to go. But if he does shoot it down, that's when the courts get involved. Well, that's right, and the courts will be the ultimate. I don't even know that De Blasio has any any uh, power to even throw it into the courts. It could be thrown into the courts by the parties to the agreement. But that's that's all. Well, the I leaseholder. Mean, uh, I mean, the leaseholder in my in my research that I've done, it's it's city owned land. City Field is city owned land. Fine. All right. So the the that's that's right. So agents of the city right. would be pitted against Cone in a legal proceeding. Right. That's all I'm saying. Right. And that a judge would have to make a determination on that. Correct. This whole thing is an attempt to 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 t- target. Cone and get him out of there because of A Rod's desire to want the team. It's ridiculous. Well, De Blasio, I mean, that's it, not going to happen. I know, and De Blasio expressed publicly his preference for A Rod and that group to own the team. So that's another wrinkle in this. Right, right, right. Anyway, I just thanks for hearing me. Anyway, yeah, of course, good call, Herman. Thanks. Yeah, and there's that, <laughs> and there's all of that. 
And, and, and oh, here's the other story I want to tell you before I forget. I, I'm very forgetful. I have a mind of a goldfish, a memory of a goldfish, as they say. But um, here's the other story. So I, I, by now, I think, or maybe you didn't, but you didn't hear maybe yet. But the Giants, uh, in particular, Daniel Jones and um, Saquon Barkley, were uh, out and about in the city on Friday night. And they were posted to social media, you know, at a bar, no masks. The bar did look empty. It didn't look like it was like, you know, like like a Vegas-style club, you know. But, you know, they were out and about, and it could, it could violate NFL rules. It could. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading the tweets as they're coming in and coming in, and I'm like, it the 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 story the Instagram story came off of a DJ named DJ Lughead, and I'm like DJ Lughead. I I met I I I was in college right and and this DJ Lughead came to do I guess like a local party. This is ten years ago, and he did like either like a local party at a bar or like a college dorm room party. I, I don't really remember. I remember being a senior and I remember meeting him in by the senior dorms, and. uh I'm like, TJ Lughead, you don't forget that name, obviously. You don't forget a name like DJ Lughead. So I look back at my contacts in my phone, which I never delete a contact, by the way, because you never know when you're going to, I don't know, need to contact somebody. So I reached out to DJ Lughead because he was still in my phone. By the way, the guy would not leave me alone. I I think I had blocked him at one point, but I asked him if he wanted to come on the show tonight. I did. And, uh, he denied me. He denied me the opportunity to come on the number one sports radio station in the country. So there you go. I tried. I tried for you guys. I did try. Robin Westchester, you're on the fan. Hi, how are you tonight? Good, Rob. How are you? I'm good. I got three words about Trevor Lawrence, okay? Okay. Portland, Trail, Blazers. What do you, you mean You know what that? I'm talking about? No. They had Clyde Drexler. They passed on Michael Jordan. Oh, oh. So you know they had an all they had an all star and I even think a Hall of Famer, but look who they passed up. And that happens every draft. It does. Not every draft. No, you get he's a generational player. Well, the Jets passed up on Patrick Mahomes, and so many other teams did. That's what right. I'm talking about. That's but what this, I mean. He wasn't a sure thing. This guy is as sure of a thing as they can think of. Are you an NFL scout? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell. Yeah, I mean, when we get down to it, we'll take a closer look at at him. Um, The eye test, certainly. Passing the eye test, certainly he passes the eye test. But I would like to see really get into the nitty-gritty with with guys and and women that actually scout and and know what they're looking for at the NFL level. Even they make so many mistakes. I know, I know, I know. But But, I mean, this guy, like they say, he's almost a short thing. Okay, you got Sam Donald. He may be a Hall of Famer like Clyde Drexler was, but he's no Michael Jordan. He's no Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I'm not saying Trevor is going to be Michael Jordan-like, but you never know. He might be. You never know. All right. You never know. Rob, thanks for the call. Yo. Uh, sorry. Yeah, he was just saying you're welcome. Um, you never know. He's right. You never know. But um, uh, this, this generational talent idea, I mean, I'm tired of hearing the phrase generational talent like every single draft, every single year. We heard about Kyler Murray. We heard about even Sam Darnold. We heard about Sam Rosen. And, and, and I'm just, you know. Everybody has an opinion, right? Everybody has these opinions. Some people can substantiate them and some people can't. And I look to 
the, the the scouts, and I know they get it wrong too, right? Or else they would all be in agreement of, of who would be the top pick or, or whatever. But everybody with Twitter fingers and, and, and a blog and seems to think that everybody, you know, they know what they're looking at. And when they're not looking at game tape, they're not they're looking at what the, the broadcast shows and what the broadcasters say, which I get, which is totally good, which is good as a supplemental material. But unless you're evaluating the guy, you're, you're timing him, you're doing all these things that scouts do. I, I don't know if you can come out and say that Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. I just don't think you can do it. And not at this point. Not right now. Not on October 25th, 2020. Because it's just that the term has been watered down so much. And J- Trevor Lawrence may very well be a generational talent. But I hate to break it to you, it's not going to be on the Jets. He can't be a generational talent on the Jets. We went through this already with Sam Darnold. Right? We've we've gone through this situation before where, where we as viewers, as TV consumers, as NFL consumers, thought that Sam Darnold was going to be a generational talent. And he very, very well could be. It's just not happening here. So whether he gets traded to welcome in Trevor Lawrence or whether he, you know, puts the team on his back and, and over these next couple weeks wins a couple games, you know, we'll see. Thanks to all the callers. You guys cannot have done this without you. I love coming here talking with every single one of you. And a special thank you again to those of you who tweeted at Wayne Corbett to make that connection happen. I hope you enjoyed the interview. It'll be posted up online and everywhere on WFAN. And, of course, thank you to the most beloved Jet of all time, Wayne himself. Great job to Pat Boyle behind the glass tonight. Um, Bob Salter's up next, you guys. And if you want to listen to any portion of the show from tonight, get on that Radio.com Rewind feature. And in the meantime... Let's hit my socials. We can keep this conversation going all week long at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. Facebook.com slash the same thing, Coach McCartan. Very interactive on Twitter, as you know. Um, I can't wait to talk with you guys. I will be back next Saturday night into Sunday, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. I will talk to you then. Hopefully the Jets have a win.